The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey guys, this is Matt Seidel, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll be discussing the semifinals of the New Japan Cup USA, the Road to Wrestling Dantaku, answering your questions, and covering all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or to keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? Listen, it is April 20th, 2021, 420. You know what that means. That means we smoking. And tonight we smoking on that Chauvin pack, if you know <laughs> what I'm saying. There's only one thing to say right now, and that is... Dang it, this. Oh my god. Ugh. So yeah, it's a good day, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Totally agree with that. Get a, a little a little taste of uh justice there. Oh, a little taste. Yo, you see what Nancy Pelosi said? No. Not to get too political, but oh my god. Uh, bro, go go look it up. I don't even want to... I'm not going to bring it up on the show, but it's fucking <laughs> stupid. Yeah, I'll, I'll look it up. She said she said she thanked this man, George Floyd, for his sacrifice. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> bro, he was murdered. You S- know what I'm saying? SMDH. That's, that's, that's all I could do to that. People are fucking stupid, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, man. Yo, yo, uh, (laughs) Derek Chauvin, (laughs) sideline. Oh, Uh, man. Might have to insert the uh, the Uso uh, soundbite in there. (laughs) 
But yeah, oh man, glad to have you ta- back on the show this week. Talk about all this uh, road to wrestling, Don Taku. Yeah, uh, thanks to Imp for stepping in on short notice like that. Yeah, Imp, the real MVP. Yeah, the real MVP. Uh, there, I forget what it was. There's something funny. I think it was like um, Strong was like a big talking point last week, and you're like, "You seen any of this?" And he's like, "Nah." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, he's like, yeah, he's like, I haven't watched a minute of Strong since it's, since it's been <laughs> on. <laughs> oh man! But yeah, speaking of New Japan Strong, that's uh, that's getting the opening billing here on the show. That's what I want to kick off with here. Yo, the funny funny thing about this is like, um, okay, I, I just want to get this out of the way. Like, normally there's not too much bad blood or housekeeping that needs to be done, you know. It's a lot of space in in this uh, area for multiple, you know, New Japan podcasts, you know, coverage. But uh, I keep hearing on the other show that they're the only ones out there that are promoting New Japan Strong. Where the fuck have we been? (laughs) We've been talking about New Japan Strong since day number one and watching that shit and promoting it and talking about when it was bad. Which uh, podcast was doing watch parties using the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com. <laughs> yeah, cheap plug. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, uh, makes sense, top billing, because, you know, the rest, I mean, road two shows, come on. Uh, so, yeah, uh, New Japan Strong. Um, one thing I will say, I didn't get to talk last week about the semifinal or the quarterfinals. Um, one of the better episodes that they've ever done, just yeah. top to bottom. Yeah, yeah, top to bottom. Um, yeah. The only the only match that was just kind of there was Hikaleo and um, Darren Young, or whatever his uh, Fred, Fred Rosser. Rosser. <laughs> <laughs> Put some respect but, on that uh, man's name. You know, I mean, I I could have called him something else that yeah. I that I say sometimes as a joke, but I, I didn't say it. Uh, all I'll say is that man looks like John Cena. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that man takes but, no uh, days off. Huh? That man takes no days off. Put some respect on his name. Uh, I'm sure he takes some days off. There's no <laughs> way that he takes no days off. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, and that match was good too, but other than that, every every single match top to bottom was really, really good, especially for TV. And then so many surprising decisions because i think this we talked about this uh tournament being so open that you know they booked it in a way where it could go lots of different ways and my entire bracket was like totally busted by the end of that episode like i got like probably every single match wrong so (laughs) (laughs) um yeah but the, the 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 best match obviously was um freaking tom lawler and ren narita like my god that's probably the best match in the history of new japan strong um very close to going four stars on that and i mean it's like 11 12 minute match just fucking phenomenal yeah i i went to full four stars on it and talking about it last week yeah that match was just so awesome i was just so into it and like i expected them to have a good match but just the the intensity with, with the slaps and the strikings and there's a lot of great grappling between both guys and uh, the bloody nose at the end, like it's just a great match. The grappling was great, the timing was great, the selling was great, the strikes, the heat, 
everything. Like it just that was a that was a perfect wrestling match. Like just incredible. Yeah, and, um, just, and the near falls were just so great because with Narita, the fact that they built Narita up that he was beating these guys that were you know like Mysteriosos and guys like that who aren't really like full time contracted guys, it made you believe that he could, he could beat Tom Lawler. And so. No, I mean it's not like Tom Lawler's full time contracted either. You know, we don't really know what the deal is. Right. That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. Like Lawler kind of fits in with like the guys he's been beating. Oh yeah, absolutely. So that was a that was a tough one to to call. And uh, yeah, I'm sure someone out there called all these matches right. And you know, they don't look like an idiot. They look like Nostradamus, <laughs> but uh, I look like the idiot because I completely got these brackets wrong. So. Um, but yeah, let's jump into this week, uh, the New Japan Cup semifinals. Yeah, so the show opened up a non-tournament match with uh, Adrian Quest, Barrett Brown, Jordan Clearwater, and Mysterioso defeating Alex Coughlin, Carl Fredericks, Kevin Knight, and the DKC. And there's actually a little bit of a, a story with this match, which I really enjoyed. You know, they've been telling the story slowly of Adrian, not Adrian, because uh, Barrett Bear Brown. Brown, yeah, trying to get, you know, dying to get this win on, on New Japan Strong. He's failing, and so he was hoping to be the guy to pick up the win here for his team. Uh, at the end, Mysterioso, blind tag, got himself in there and uh, picked up the pin for the team, and he was upset about that. So we're seeing some uh, character development here, some story building up here uh, with Barrett Brown. Yeah, Barrett Brown, you know, has literally not won any matches since he's come to New Japan Strong or, you know, New Japan USA. So he's just kind of getting more and more frustrated. He's trying to prove his worth. And, you know, they're talking about the fact that he's like on the chopping block, basically, like, you know, his job is not guaranteed at this rate. You know, he is a contractor. So who knows if he gets invited back out for the next you know, set of tapings. I mean, they, they're not saying it that way, but that's kind of what they're alluding to. So, right. you mean, know, he could, he could go back to the indies anytime. Right. From time to time, we do see some new names pop up. You see some guys that kind of disappear. And so, yeah, it's a great story they're telling. Like, yeah, everybody kind of has to fight for their spot here. Like, wins and losses do matter. And if, you, if you're not winning, then we're not going to keep you here. So, yeah. And then, and then you just disappear, disappear like, uh, Blake Christian or some shit, Alex Zane, you know, <laughs> never to be seen again. Retired, <laughs> uh, Tyler Rust. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, then, following that, we had the uh, the first semifinal match of the evening: Filthy Tom Lawler defeating Hikaleo, eight minutes fifty eight seconds. Uh, match was fine. Um, you know, I I think a lot of people. It's kind of interesting. I'm seeing so many people talk about how they're becoming more and more impressed with Hikaleo and, you know, he's starting to win them over. But I feel like we've been won over by him since day one. Um, so wasn't too surprised by his performance here. I didn't think it was anything blow away. I mean, but they told a good story for eight minutes and change. And then Tom Waller kind of catching him on the on the way, literally on the way back into the ring with a small package for the the quick roll up was kind of funny. Uh, kind of protects Hikaleo still just a bit, but you know it's a believable way that Tom Waller could beat him. I saw somebody online literally say like, "Oh, this man Tom Waller like literally went for the WCW NWO World Tour finish." You know, <laughs> literally just threw this man out, waited for him to come back in, and caught him with the small package. Like that. That's literally a video game like uh, strategy, like one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, that's what Lawler did here. I mean, throughout the match, also, you know, he was trying to work on the legs, take you know, chop down the big man here, do a lot of uh, knee bars, and 
heel hooks and a lot of leg submissions to try and get Hikaleo to tap out. But yeah, c- catching with the uh, the inside cradle there as he was coming back in. Well, it it worked because he got his legs from green down to like orange. Right. So that's why he was more susceptible at that point for the small package. Right. And so when he had the hook on the leg, like if the leg was green, he would be able to kick out easily. But correct, it, it was it was weakened. He couldn't. He didn't have the strength to kick out of the, the cradle there. Well, his his kick out meter like went got super small. I mean, it's kind of hard to like time right. it just right. You know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Then uh, the main event, the other semifinal match, uh, Brody King defeats the man of the hour, Leo Rush, 7 minutes, 38 seconds. So the week prior, Brody King defeated um, Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson in a match that I thought was really, really good. Same thing with Leo Rush. He defeated, um, who did he beat? Leo Rush Uh, defeated uh, Clark Connors. Clark Connors, that's correct. Um, and that match, you know, I always get Carl and Coughlin and Connors like all mixed up because, you know, there's a lot of alliteration there. Yeah. But uh, that match was really great as well. So, you know, when they came in, you know, second week main eventing, I kind of expected this to be, I wouldn't say blow away, but I really thought this was going to be something that delivered. Um, and I also thought it was interesting because we got a size discrepancy, which is something that we do see from time to time, but like for instance, the Goto against Ishimori match that's taking place over in New Japan proper—that's a novelty, you know. And it feels like this might be more commonplace, and with there not being any sort of like weight distinctions, you know, enforced in New right. Japan USA. So I was kind of very interested to see what we got here, and I thought they told an okay story, but I was kind of surprised at how Brody King just kind of ran through Leo Rush here, it felt like. Right. It was almost like an extended squash match. I mean, Leo was trying his best, trying to uh, evade him and get some quick offense in, hit him with some inseguries and get him down every once in a while. You know, there there was a frog splash that he got at one point. But, yeah, he just never really got a a huge string of offense, and Brody King just seemed to cut him off and just overpower him majority of the match and then just killed him at the end with that uh, gonzo bomb. Yeah, that was 100% my assessment of it. And when he finally hit that, I was, like, surprised. I was like, whoa, 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 he beat him? Like, that's it? One, two, three, and that that was it? You know, go to hell. <laughs> and it's funny. I, I was watching this uh, with my girlfriend, and she was like, there's no way that that little boy is going to beat that big guy. <laughs> I'm like, little boy? My Leo Rush is a, a grown man. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, she needs to put some respect on his name. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was surprised here. Uh, you know, the thing that kind of sort of is a tip off, though, and once I'm like now we're seeing it unfold, I think the big kind of giveaway is like we were so focused on the issues between Dirty Daddy and Tom Lawler, you know? While at the same time, there's this other issue kind of brewing where there's this heel faction that formed in ROH and they're sort of, you know, um, recognizing it on New Japan Strong and, you know, the custody of Dirty Daddy between Team Filthy and then what's the other group called? Chaos something? Uh, Violence Unlimited. Violence Unlimited. Um, you're, you're here at the finals and you're getting the leader of Team Filthy against the leader of Violence Unlimited it sort of like seems like, man, we should have seen this coming because they sort of were already alluding to it 
from day one. Right, and also with uh, Brody's little stable that he has in New Japan Strong with the Regal Twins, the Team Filthy took out uh, one of the, the Regal Twins. And, That's right. And so also wanted to get revenge for that as well. Yeah, they had, what, Kratos, you know, hit him with a chair, basically, concertoed his leg, right? Uh, I think it was his arm, because, his, his yeah, he wanted yeah, uh, Dickinson to break his arm, and then Dickinson was like, nah, our, our, the match is over, and then uh, Lawler told J.R. Kratos to do it, and he did. Yeah, well, I mean, that's true. Um, however, like, well, I guess, yeah, that was a week before the tournament started, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so we should have seen this coming. I think that they were kind of dropping hints the whole time, but I was just so caught up in, you know, all the different possibilities that uh, it kind of got me, uh, you know, turned astray. But, yeah, this this final looks really good on paper, and um, I'm not really sure which way they're going, to be honest with you. Right, it, they they can go either way, and we, we do have some questions uh, about that. So before we get, get to that, so overall, just thoughts so far on, on the whole tournament so far. A question from uh, Dom Homie One Hundred One. Um, I thought that the initial like tournament eliminators were very good. Uh, they almost they. I mean, you basically could call it part of the tournament because they were sort of like unofficial qualifying matches, anyways. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the whole deal was to even get into the tournament was, like, a special distinction. So that was cool. And then that first week, the um, the tournament matches were just, you know, really, really, really great. But then I kind of felt like the second week was a big step down. And I think partly it was because you had two matchups where you had smaller individuals with bigger individuals. And you were kind of telling the same story back to back, you know. Um, smaller guys trying to overcome these big monsters and you know it, they weren't really presented on an equal footing in any way you know what I mean yeah um, and I don't know if that would always be the case if like this happened in say like defy or something like that or PWG you know right uh, so that 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 kind of like brought my investment down a little bit Um Plus, I think that had they brought some of these other, like if they had brought some of the some of the lions through, like Narita or like uh, um, freaking Connors or some, you know, some of those other decisions, it might have been harder to predict what was going to happen here. But once once we ended up with the semifinals of Lawler and Brody King against Hickley and Leo Rush, it, it became pretty evident right away what where they were going with this, you know? So it sort of took a lot of that, like, excitement to, like, oh, I know exactly where they're going now. So I guess I can get excited for a week from now when we get Lawler and King, but for me, this was a little bit too on the nose, it felt like. Right, it was definitely kind of an ebb and flow. Like, I feel like the tournament started off really hot. Like, the first-round pairings are great. Like, all the first-round matchups, like, I wouldn't have paired it any other way. But then you just got some weird pairings in that semifinal. I feel like they could have maybe shifted around somehow to, which I I like all the first-round pairings, but I don't know. The second round just ended up kind of weird. I feel like maybe, you know, maybe Leo Rush versus Lawler and then Brody King versus Hikaleo might have been better matchups than what they set up here. Well, the thing is, um, most of the matches for the second round, if I was to go out and like, um, just based off of name recognition, 
who do I think, and also based off of like tenure with the company and things like that, like start basically where the person's star power sits at 2021. Uh, I could have easily picked the the winner of every single match from the first round right out the gate. You know, right. I think they did a great job, you know, making you know building up some of these guys, building up some of these matches so that we might have some um, inclination to put faith in the Connors and put faith in Rita or Dirty Daddy, that sort of thing. But ultimately, it sort of seems like they just went with the guys that were more established, you know, right. um, in every single scenario. So that kind of and, you know, it's kind of it's a departure because you, you, when you think of the New Japan Cup, that name, you think of, you know, the idea that there is going to be some sort of upset somewhere along the way, which is sort of why I also had different picks than what we got. But here, this was just like by the numbers. I mean, straight up. Yeah. You know, if again, using the video game, uh, you know, allegory, like w- they picked the guys with the higher overall ratings across the board. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and so you ended up with the two guys with the highest rating in the tournament going head to head at the very end of it, which it's like they simmed the whole tournament. And, you know, to nobody's surprise, you ended up with, you know, the 89 and the 91 guys against each other. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, lo- I'm loving all the uh, the video game references here. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I'm having a weird night, so it's, it's been a weird week. Uh, but yeah, so for for the finals this coming up Friday, we have set Brody King versus Filthy Tom Lawler. Not only will the winner be the New Japan Cup USA 2021 uh, Championship winner, they are going to be winning the New Japan Pro Wrestling Strong Open Weight Championship. Yeah. Um, so, do you want to start discussing that now, or you said we had questions? I, I wasn't sure what you wanted to do there. Uh, I think we can run through the questions and then maybe make a, a final prediction. Um, so, we had a question from Asayo Jimbo. He says uh, his pick to win the Strong Open Weight Championship is Tom Lawler. However, El Fantasmo is conspicuous by his absence. Do you think he'll challenge for the new championship on Strong once the tournament is over? Conspicuous, yes. Uh, that is interesting. I mean, he was over in uh, Japan, and now he's not there. I do remember him saying on um, podcasts in the past, I mean, this could be a work, but he mentioned that he was having trouble getting a, uh, a visa to go work in the States, you mm-hmm. know? And that's one of the reasons that they, uh, you know, didn't have him, like, working some of the stuff, you know, earlier than they ended up having him you know, do some of the stuff. So I don't know if that's going to still continue to be a hindrance. I know he did work the, uh, the J cup tournament. So that might be an interesting way to go. Um, I'm also sort of wondering where Chris Dickinson fits into this because he's sort of torn between a group in new Japan and a group in ROH. And these two guys both happen to be the head of them. You know, there's been some tensions teases there as well. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think once ELP is back, he could definitely be a challenger for this championship, especially now it's open weight title. Like we're mentioning, we're starting to see more junior versus heavyweight matches like what we saw in the semifinals here. And so, a you know, an ELP against both one of these two heavyweight guys, I mean, that that could happen. ELP is a top, you know, big name that would be on strong. So I can definitely see them doing that down the line and potentially him even winning it. I think that would, you know, add prestige to the title. Uh, but yeah, like 
like you said, like he's probably yeah, having visa issues and probably missed a set of tapings for this tournament. He might have even been in this tournament. Who knows? So maybe whenever that gets cleared up, he will be on these tapings and will eventually uh, be a, a contender here. Yeah, I mean, it kind of just depends. Um, to it, for my money, and I could be wrong on this, but like I sort of feel like Phantasmo's a bigger star within the realm of New Japan than anybody currently involved with New Japan Strong. So it's like you do this big tournament, you give this guy the win, he wins the title right away, and then you know you face him up against um, Phantasmo. I mean, sure, Phantasmo could take the loss and would probably be fine, but I almost feel like, like you mentioned, for the establishment of the title, you kind of want, you might even want to get Phantasmo's name on the record book. So it's like, are you going to have someone win this title, turn around and drop it to someone with a bigger name like Phantasmo right away? I don't know. I mean, are they going to pull an Ibushi on him? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I think it all depends. Obviously, there's tons of shows in Japan that, that they could use him for, so maybe he'll, he'll be headed to Japan soon. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens with him. Yeah, I, I don't think that would be a bad way to go maybe eventually. And, I mean, it could happen sooner than later, but I feel like the narrative right now is more circled on the Chris Dickinson thing, you know? Right. Um not saying he'll be the next challenger, but I feel like that's the key element of the story because obviously he just lost to Brody King. So, I mean, if Brody King won, pretty clear he wouldn't have a immediate title shot, uh, you know, earned or anything. But if Tom Lawler won, there might be some something there between those two. Right, because there, there was heat that built up between them and – We've seen the disagreements and the arguments, and then Dickinson not listening to Lawler and, and breaking uh, one of the Sterling, uh, one of the uh, Regal twins' arm. Um, so you can definitely build up a match there. Next question from OBSW: They said, "How will the new New Japan Pro Wrestling Open Weight Title differentiate from other championships?" Well, I mean, I think it's already differentiated with the, with the name of it not being an IWGP title and uh, being named an NJP, NJPW title. Uh, but I mean, I think we're, we're mainly going to see this title on strong. I really don't see this title going over to Japan. Um, I guess also if you put it on somebody like an ELP or, or a bigger star, then yes. But I think it's going to be mainly for strong and see and for the guys on strong. It's for them to fight for. Yeah, I mean, right now it's one of those things where it's like they don't have weight classes differentiated. I mean, they're acknowledged that they exist. But it's not like, uh, you know, it's not like they're having junior matches and heavyweight matches, that sort of thing. Like, it's sort of just open across the board. So, you know, that's what this title represents. I mean, I fully expect, hypothetically, if New Japan Strong gets folded or fails, you know, a year or two from now, I, I don't necessarily anticipate, like, the Strong title being one that comes to Japan or anything. I think it's going to live and breathe with the success of this brand and show. And if, if it ever does hypothetically fold up, I, I don't, I think the title will just cease to be acknowledged at that point. That's my prediction sort of. Yeah. I mean, if, if they want to, they could have like a invocation with like the strong, ne- the strong open weight and the never open weight to have like the undisputed, you know, open weight champion. You could, but it really would depend on their investment into the whole thing at that point. Anyways, you know, like, right. are they, are, would it even be worth, like, let's say hypothetically it's a year from now, this thing fails, you know, um, they, they shut down the brand and 
they've got the title on XYZ indie wrestler that's not a draw in Japan whatsoever. Nobody knows him there. Do, and they've never had him come to Japan. Are they going to bring him to Japan and pay for him to be on the brand? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just, I'd be surprised by that. I think that is one thing that's int- uh, that we should talk about that's interesting here. The fact that we've got two, I mean, I wouldn't say Gaijin because it's it's domestic <laughs> here in America, but you got two two guys who um, are not really affiliated with New Japan in a classical sense. I mean, um, yeah, Brody King did a tour once with uh, with the ROH outfit a while back, but like he's never truly been featured on New Japan shows or anything like that. Same thing with Tom Lawler. So I think it's interesting that they that these two guys are the ones that they picked to sort of be invested in and it also it makes me wonder i think for how i'm going to predict this you know the the allegiances you've got one guy with mlw and another guy with roh and i know between those two companies i, I lean more towards thinking that one group is going to have stronger ties than the other you know right and this leads into viking paint's question he said are you guys surprised that the two finalists for the strong openweight championship are two guys not under contract to new japan um, and so, yeah, like you mentioned, it, it's a very interesting, cause I mean, they could have used some of the young lion guys that are, that are under contract. They could have used, you know, a Rocky Romero who didn't even qualify to get into the tournament, you know, guys that are actually under contract, but yeah, interesting that they're, they're, they're investing in these two guys that are not full-time contract. I mean, also they have some kind of deal or agreement to be working these tapings. And there is, like you mentioned, ROH in New Japan, there still is a partnership there. We've started to see this year uh, and last year, the, the opening up between MLW and New Japan with Rocky Romero uh, working their tapings. He's working. At, um, he's going to be on the show tomorrow night. So we're seeing some MLW guy, you know, some MLW kind of communication happening there. Um, so could putting the belt on Tom Lawler be a way to kind of continue that relationship? Maybe, possibly. And then you know, I don't know what his status is as a freelancer. You know, um, and maybe maybe down the line he has aspirations to truly be involved with new japan going forward and you know the mlw thing is sort of like a a means to an end at this point that's possible as well we don't really know right i mean he's always been one of the kind of featured and pushed guys in that promotion um but we do know how those those mlw contracts seem to kind of work out it seemed like they're you know written in crayon and guys can just kind of leave when they want and end up being signed somewhere right and part of the 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 thing is you know, some of the guys that in the past were featured that were big names, Brody King, you know, um, who, who else was on that show? What, on, on MLW? Yeah. Uh, Swerve, Matt Riddle. I, bro, those are the two names literally I was trying to say, <laughs> but, like, I'm just having a weird night. Yeah, Swerve, Riddle, Brody King, like, those guys all just, like, left MJF, you know, mm-hmm. and I think part of the thing is, like, Tom Lawler hasn't, you know, quote unquote left, because I mean, I don't know that there's been interest from an AEW or a WWE, you know, otherwise he might've already been gone, you know, right. Who, who's to say. So, um, I, I think it's, that's something to kind of keep, pay attention to as well. Right. All right. So let's give our predictions here. Who do, who do you think is walking home with the strong open weight championship? It, it's, uh, this is a tough one because, from a political standpoint, I think Brody King makes the most sense. You know, yeah, he's a he's a ROH guy. 
they've been high on him in the past. We've heard those reports. We've been we've actually uh, said them on the air here on keeping a strong style a couple years ago when he was doing the uh, best super juniors tour with Marty's crew. What was that villain enterprises? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, um, and we kind of knew that they always at some point intended to sort of bring him back and feature him. Um, so that's one way to lean. But the other, the other fact of the matter is like within this little kayfabe world that they've created, and I said this weeks ago, I was like, if Tom Lawler beats Ren Narita after Narita had that series of victories, you might as well just belt up Tom Lawler at that point. Like, that's the way to go, because, you know, why would you have built up Narita like that to have him lose to a guy who's going to lose, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but, but again, you know, the ROH connection kind of throws me off, but like... I think I'm gonna go with Filthy. I mean, he's been he's been working these uh, these shows since the very very first tapings they did for the Lions Break Collision stuff. So, um, and I think that that's a name that sort of lends itself well. But it's a tough one. This is fifty fifty. I w I'm not gonna be surprised either way, really. Yeah, I've been having a hard time going back and forth. Like like you initially, I'm like, all right, Brody King, the ROH connection. Um, that that can kind of help that relationship there, make that a little bit stronger there. But then I'm just thinking story wise, I, I feel like story wise it might make more sense for for Tom Waller to win. Like you mentioned, and uh, beating a guy like Naria, who's somebody that they've been pushing since he's been on the show. And then with the whole Chris Dickinson thing, I mean, you could have Dickinson play a role in the finish and maybe accidentally cost Brody King the match. Like he's he has, he's in the spot where he can kind of choose and he accidentally does something that causes Lawler to win. Um, yeah, and you know what? That could be the opposite way, too. I thought of that sort of scenario in reverse, you know, whatever, you know, the, the means might be. But maybe maybe there's something that happens that costs, um, you know, filthy. That's possible as well. Yeah. Yeah, it can go either way. It can cost either guy, either filthy or Brody, can end up accidentally costing or purposely costing um, and kind of making a decision on where his allegiances lie. Uh, man, yeah, this is a hard one to go with, but um, you know what? I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Brody King here, um, as the first strong open weight championship, open weight champion. This would be if Brody King were to win this. This would be the first truly significant uh, title that he has ever held mm -hmm. uh, outside of the AAW heavyweight title other than that he hasn't had a lot of singles gold in his career and then you could almost kind of say the same thing about uh filthy i mean he's a former mlw world heavyweight title holder but other than that i mean you know some of these other titles aiw absolute champion eh, you know prestige title i mean both of these guys have basically held one prestigious title prior to this. So this would be a big step for either one of them regard, you know, either way. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. Big one for either guy. I think either guy, it makes sense for either guy to win. I think guy, their, their name value, I think is pretty much on the same level. Um, and will bring eyes, help bring eyes to that show. Yeah, totally agree. So I, uh, even though, um, you know, I kind of complained about the second round of the tournament. I think th this is a very good fitting final that we're getting here. 
And I, you know, I'm, I'm highly anticipating it once we finally get it, you know, and I don't know who's going to win. So, I mean, that's, we've always talked about how, like when, you know, the, the outcome is sort of, you know, undetermined, you know, it's not easy to call. That's usually a good sign. Yeah. So yeah, that's this Friday on NJPW strong. Also on the show, our good friend Rocky Romero will be taking on a debuting Wheeler, Utah. Uh, pretty cool to see Wheeler Utah show up here. He's a guy I've seen on MLW and on uh, various indies. Um, yeah, I, I saw him during the strong or during the uh, pure tournament ROH. I was very impressed. Although um, I think he's based off of just what I saw. I know it's a technical tournament, but he was one of the more technical uh, performers that I saw. Yeah, very like he was very very like ground based. Is that how? He's been, you know, in, in your experience watching him. So I've seen him kind of a evol- I feel like in MLW at first they were trying to make him like a high flyer type, but then he's kind of evolved more into more grapple base. And then, yeah, since he's left MLW, I've definitely seen more grapple base stuff from him. And then, especially like you mentioned in the pure tournament in Ring of Honor, he's definitely stepped up like the mat and grappling game. Okay, nice. So yeah, so this would be a, a pretty good matchup here for uh, him against Rocky Romero. And interesting is kind of see where the future lies for Will Utah. I know Rocky hasn't had the the best record on Strong, but usually beats a guy like this. But maybe if they're bringing in Utah for more stuff, maybe he gets an upset win over Rocky here. Rocky's not quite a New Japan dad, but he's sort of like the New Japan USA dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then the uh, the show will open up with uh, TJP and Clark Connors taking on Team Filthy, Chris Dickinson, and J.R. Kratos. So the outcome of that opening match could play into the main event as well. Very, uh, very likely, very possible, yes. Then we had a uh, question here before we move off a of strong from Kaiju917. says, not sure what the plans are for Japanese talent being featured in NJPW Strong in a post-pandemic world, but what do you all think about it being a place where some of the core talent will go if they need a shakeup because they aren't getting over or are pin eaters and need some credibility rehab? A place to let my boy Doki, yeah, I said it, and Wato go and throw down with some more evenly matched opponents and get some singles wins so they can come back up with a bit more heat and possibly give Strong some more storyline potential at the same time. I realize this is exactly what Excursion is supposed to, to achieve for a young lion, but maybe this is a true way to the Grandmaster for Watto. It's an interesting question, and I like sort of the scenario he's postulated here. I think uh, it just depends on how you execute it, because you, you sort of have to be careful. I mean, I don't think that um, you want to present your U.S. brand as this sort of like inferior you know, sister, what, you know, or like redheaded stepchild of new Japan, you know, right. right. Um, you'd have to be careful with that because I mean, if you have a guy like Doki, who's just literally a pin eater, but then he comes over to strong and he like starts fucking everybody up. I mean, my initial thinking as a fan is like, well, new Japan strong must suck. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I mean, there is a way to do it where it, you know, might make sense, you know, if it's booked well and if there's, you know, uh, a good enough narrative behind it. I also am not sure. I, I think if I was management and I was making this kind of decision, I would really pay attention to the streaming numbers 
to see how many of my domestic fans were even paying attention to that product. I mean, for instance, I mean, in most, even to this day, but especially prior to NXT going on national television, your average WWE fan just wasn't really that aware of it. They knew it existed, but they didn't see when Big Show showed up for that four-week run, you know, to to beat up Bo Dallas and the Jobbers and <laughs> right. all that. And that didn't play into the storylines when he came back. And so I think you'd really have to pay attention to see how much actual crossover is taking place between the two. Um, if Here's the thing I would pose. If you're going to do this, you got to have it go both ways. Otherwise, it won't work for sure. But if you have like, say, you know, I don't know, like Leo Rush, he's doing all this stuff and you're, and you're having him come work the regular tours in New Japan and then go back and forth. Or same thing with Jeff Cobb, you know, and it's being alluded to on television, then that there might be some more, um, you know, credibility built there. That's why I sort of thought having the U.S. title defended on on Strong made a lot more sense. But you know, right? Because you want to bring eyeballs to that show. So if you expose the, the guys on there to the domestic audience, that's going to help them get over and. Um, Bring more eyes. You know, all right, so they get used to Leo Rush. Now they're like, oh, he wrestles on Strong. I need to watch Strong. Yeah. So, yeah, I totally get the point you're making there. Um, you know, one thing that we also we don't know the future of Strong and what it's going to look like in, in a post-pandemic world, but I'm assuming, you know, they're, they're going to want to have fans um, in, into this. And I think, I don't know if they're going to tour with it and do tapings in different cities, but I do think they're, they're going to have to bring in maybe some of the bigger names on this show. I think we're going to need to see like a, Suzuki, Ishii, Agoto, uh, some of the, the more like homegrown New Japan names once they have to start selling tickets to this thing. That's true. And then you also have to ask yourself if they're going to start doing, if they decide to do any live touring, and I don't know if that's the idea or if, if it would just be taped shows, but I mean, how would that jive with a lot of the talent that they're currently using, which a lot of those guys are California-based. A lot of those guys are contracted elsewhere. And maybe some of those companies are going to be doing their own TV tapings, their own dates, their own tours once you know the, the uh, you know economy sort of opens up. So, I mean, how will that work? You know, If you have right. Filthy Tom Lawler as your champion, but he's got dates for – who's the owner of MLW? Court Bauer? Yeah, Court Bauer. Yeah. Court Bauer wants him. I mean – you know, what's the deal? How's that going to work out? You know, right. or what if, or what if like uh, Sinclair media, you know, has stuff going on for, you know, their guys. I, I don't know. It's weird. You know? Yeah. It's very interesting. It, when, it's going to be interesting to see when things open up and companies are fully up and running and touring and trying to get fans in kind of what the political landscape is going to look like. And I mean, also is touring even going to be a viable thing? I mean, I don't know. Like, how many people are, you know, are going to want to attend, you know, or, and feel comfortable about, you know, the safety of things, you know, we were literally just at some live shows the other week and people were like, I got COVID there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. Also, like, are they even going to make money from that? You know, like live touring is sort of like a dying, you know, thing. That's why, like, uh. You know, unless it's for TV taping, like a live television deal, like WWE's not doing them, AEW's not really doing house shows. I mean, I don't know. 
Right, all the money is in TV versus live events, and I know New Japan, they're used to the, the live event model in Japan, but in the U.S., it's, it's all about the TV money right now, so uh, definitely, I mean, if they want Strong to grow, it's definitely getting it a, a better TV deal and focusing on the TV aspect of it. Yeah, I think we'll be talking about that more in the show later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so now we gotta move on to the very long road to wrestling Don Taku. We had uh, several row two shows over the last uh, week here. Several with four shows here. Yeah, it's very similar matchups on the card. We'll kind of go through the results, mention any story elements if there is any. Really, I mean, a lot of it is a, a lot of the same. Uh, but we can kind of, if there's anything that we need to pepper in, we can kind of pepper in as we walk through these results here. So on uh, the fifteenth, we had the show opening up with Desperado, Suzuki, and Kanamaru. Defeating Rapungi K3K, Sho and Yo, and Tomioka Hanma, 12 minutes and 2 seconds. Building up for the uh, two matches here with uh, Despi and Kanamaru challenging Rapungi 3K for junior tag titles, and then Yo will be challenging uh, Desperado for the junior title. And then we've had uh, Hanma and Suzuki just, they've been just having slap fests and uh, little strong style battles in, in all of these uh, six man matches here. Yeah, every every night those two have kind of just gone face face to face and it's sort of like Hanma trying to like prove his toughness to Suzuki and Suzuki not really giving a fuck and um a lot of leg work and a lot of submission work and every night pretty much Suzuki is tapping out Hanma. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, also, you know, Despi and Kanamaro seem to be targeting um Yo's uh, knee that he just came back from. And so, also, that's going to be a continued story in, in their match and their rivalry. Yeah, I'm not too stoked on that because it felt like they definitely needed to focus on that for the, uh, the first match. Yeah, for the big tag match that they had. And that should have been like the injury that prevented them from winning the titles and should have been the obstacle that he needed to overcome down the road going forward. But instead he overcame the very, very first night. And it's sort of like, you know, that's, that's sort of an afterthought. So every time that they're focusing on the knee now, I'm like, well, he already beat you guys on a, on a bad wheel. So, I mean, how invested can I really get in you guys attacking the leg after he just beat you guys? Right. Yeah. So uh, the following match, we had Jado Tamatango Tangaloa defeating Doki Taichi and Zack Sabre jr. I had a question here from Dom Homie 101. So both guys not being high flyers or risk takers, how do you think the ladder match between Tamatonga and Taichi will look like? And what are some of your favorite ladder matches? Huh, that's a great question. Um, so, I mean, I'm sort of at this point right now where I'm a little ladder matched out, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's fine that it's happening in new Japan because they're so rare in this company that I'm sort of welcoming it. But also at the same time, I'm like apprehensive. Cause I'm like, it's for the iron fingers, which is usually something I hate, you know, yeah. just across the board. Like that's not really a, a storytelling element that I think is any good. And then like you mentioned, neither guy, Neither of these two guys are high flyers, but um, at the same time, one of the things I think is missing from a lot of ladder matches is believability, 
violence, hard hitting, you know, action and sort of like well-told setups, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think there is a possibility here that they might be able to go out there and have a more psychology based ladder match as opposed to a spot fest ladder match, something that's a little bit more hard hitting and gritty. Um, you know, sort of like how the early, I mean, that's what the early ladder matches were like the ones that Brett and Sean did. I mean, right. uh, we, we see, we see the gifts of like, uh, you know, the, the, the callbacks of like, uh, Sean doing the splash off the ladder. But if you go back and watch those matches, I mean, there wasn't a lot of high flying, like they're pretty much, you know, weapons matches. So right. I feel, I feel even, even that Sean razor match, like it was there wasn't a ton of high flying either in that match. There wasn't, and the second match that they had, there's even less high flying. And I prefer, I, I might be in the minority, but I prefer the SummerSlam ladder match more from a psychology standpoint. Um, and I feel like they could go out there and do something that's akin to that. Uh, also, it might suck, you know. I, I when I when I think of a lot of the uh, weapons on a poles matches, I mean that's what this sounds like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I mean I don't know and. It's supposed to be a setup for a tag title match that, like, I feel like they could have built to the tag title match on on its own without this, and I probably would have been fine. So, like, is this even necessary? Like, no, but am I, like, okay with it? Yeah. And why am I okay with it? Because I've gotten so many fucking Road 2 shows with so many fucking tags that even just the prospect of getting a special singles match is, like... Okay, I'll take it. Even <laughs> even if it makes no sense, even if it's for you know fucking fingers that I don't care about, but we'll see. Like you know, we might be we might be here a week or two from now talking about how shitty this was. Right, and I, I did also yeah, you're right. They could have built this rematch without doing this ladder match and out without doing the singles between Saber and Tangaloa. But you know, of all these shows that they have built, that that, that you can't just continue to have a bunch of tag matches on there, so. They had to set something up for these for all these cards that they're doing. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's tough, man. I mean, they're working with the skeleton crew, and it's like they're they're trying to balance everything. And it's I, I don't know. In my opinion, I will say I don't think it's working right now. Personally, I mean, we we have long um, defended the Maltan tag matches, but like something's got to give here. You either need to do something more creatively booking wise. Or maybe book less shows, or something needs to open up economy wise. Like I don't know, man. Like this isn't really working for me. <laughs> but uh, as far as fa- I mean, do you have? I- I'm sure you have some favorite ladder matches. Uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, first thing that pops in my head is the uh, New Orleans Takeover ladder match for North American title. Yeah, uh, that one's really great. I mean. As bad as this sounds, the first one that pops in my mind is like uh, Jericho and Benoit from SummerSlam mm. or whatever that was from 2001. Yeah. Um, I also think about – That one's really fucking great. Yeah. Uh, Michaels and Jericho, 09 oh. for the world title. Yeah. I think that's 08. Oh, yeah. From No, from no Mercy. Yeah. That one's really, really good. And of, uh, of course, the, the latter wars in Ring of Honor, uh, Bucks and uh, Briscoe's. Yes. Um, Steen Generico. Yeah. Steen Generico against the Briscoes. Yeah. Uh, some of those Ladder Wars matches are fucking crazy. Um, I mean, there's a lot of WWE ones I could point to that I really like. Uh, 
Christian against um, was that RVD? I'm pretty sure from Raw. That one's incredible. Mm. Um, um, RVD RVD against Eddie Guerrero from oh, the same from the same year. Yeah, um, I really like the uh, Jeff Hardy Undertaker one from Raw. Oh, the Jeff Hardy Undertaker one's incredible. Uh, Edge against. I mean, see, that's the tough part. You start getting into the TLCs, and when you talk about the the you know the the three you know Dudley's Hardy's Edge, you know. Edge and Christian matches, those are like untouched, basically. Right. And some of the uh, early Money in the Banks were really great. I I love the first Money in the Bank, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's another one that I was thinking of that's really, really, really good. Um, God, what was it? I don't know. There's there's just there's been a ton of really, really, really great ladder matches in WWE history, they just do too many of them, you know. Yeah, yeah, ton tons of great there. But uh, so moving on with this card here, we had uh, in the middle of the card we had Goto Ishi Yano Yoshihashi teaming with Tanahashi to defeat the Bullet Club team of Evil Gato Kenta Taiji Shimori and Yujiro with Dick Togo. Um, and with all these chaos for Bullet Club matches, of course we have the whole. When Yano's of all their build, trying to build up the the blindfold darkness match, and you got you got Kenta with with the the bow staff, and uh, you got Garot wires, you got lights going out, you got blindfolds, you got bow staffs. I mean, like you got it's low blows. Just, it's it's yeah, there's a lot going on in these matches. Yeah, and you know the one thing I could say in their defense, if if we wanted to defend them, I was like, these matches actually really aren't even that bad. You know, yeah. But I'm just so done with all this shtick that it's like, uh, you know, I, I let's do something else, guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so my main event, we had Great Ocon and Jeff Cobb defeat the LIJ team of Bushi and Tetsuya Naito. So obviously building up that uh, Naito Ocon match that's coming up this week. Um, and that's something that like I can sort of sink my teeth into the thing is just um i don't know naito's coming off weird to me again it's like he seems he's acting like he cares but he doesn't care and it's like okay all right tranquilo's a griff i get it like <laughs> yeah he's been doing all kinds of stuff you know mocking um great Khan's pose you know standing in the aisleway for forever and getting on the laptop after matches and doing all kind of you know random stuff and not really taking Ocon seriously yeah, he wore Ocon's shirt uh, for his entrance one of the nights, which is weird too. Yeah, so it's like he's like trying to play mind games, but like Ocon doesn't seem shook at all because he beat that. He like he fucked him up last time they wrestled. So right, o- Ocon's doing the same game plan. I mean, last time Naito once again was kind of goofing off and taking Ocon lightly and trying to do the whole tranquilo gimmick, and Ocon's like, "I'm gonna wait for you to get back in this ring, and I'm gonna bash your head in." And that's exactly what he's doing here. He's like, I'm just going to wait till you're done playing antics. I'm going to get a hold on you. I'm just going to beat the crap out of you. Here's the problem. Okan was a, was a ring boy when Naito was at the top of his game. And he sat there and watched this man. You know, he watched him through the whole Tanahashi feud. And he's like, man, this guy's a punk, bro. Like, I'll fuck him up. <laughs> <laughs> just wait. Just wait. Just wait. When I come back from excursion, I'm going to beat that ass. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Ocon and Cobb, I really like those guys as a team um, from the United Empire. Yeah, and uh, this was, 
you know, once again, we're just seeing night after night Bushi go for tour of the islands over and over yes. and over again. Poor Bushi. This is, yeah, this is a rough tour for him. This man has been like <laughs> tour of the islands like four or five times in like three different ways. <laughs> All different kinds. Yeah. yeah. Like if there's a champion, like a world championship for like most creative ways to take the tour of the islands, like Bushi wins it hands down, like 100% kick ass. Yeah. Uh, then the main event, another LIJ versus United Empire match. This time it was Sonata and Shingo defeating Aaron Hanare and Will Ospreay. And, you know, very interesting storytelling here with how the, the, the finish came. You know, with Aaron Hanare's win in, in his debut, you know, they made it clear that, you know, somebody hit their finisher and then he pinned Sonata. Well, this time it took a lot of double teaming from Sonata and Shingo for Shingo to get the pin on Aaron Hanare. So I, I feel like they are trying to protect Hanare here a little bit and kind of showing that he has kind of leveled up and it takes a lot more to take him out. I think it's a precarious position. It's something that we wondered about when they brought Hanare in because this is a new faction and they're trying to find a way, like they brought in a new character, a new guy, but the faction just started a few months ago, you know, yeah. and they're so they're already like trying to like get a foothold for Cobb, get a foothold for Ocon, and then they brought in a fourth guy. And we initially, that's why I initially thought it was going to be a junior because I was like, it's a little bit too much of the same headspace for them to all sort of inhabit all at the same time. And if they do bring in a guy, you know, you don't usually want to bring someone in to be the pin eater, you know. Like, that's not a – you don't usually do a big surprise countdown, big entrance, big repackaging just for a guy to be the pin eater, you know? Um, right. It's not not the best way to do it. And that I'm not saying that's what's happening here, but what I am saying is it's got to lead that way for one of these guys eventually. And it, for my money, it's probably going to end up being Hanare anyways. <laughs> right. Like – and I think that's why they didn't give him the big, you know, he hits his finish one, two, three. And I think at this point they're trying to give some plausible deniability. Like, no, nah, that's not what we're doing. That's not what we're doing. <laughs> Look, it took a lot of it took a lot of double teaming for for Shingo to beat him, but nonetheless, Shingo did beat him. And eventually, I mean, if I had to take a look at the guys that they got on the roster. I don't think Cobb's going to be the job guy, and I'm pretty sure Khan's not going to be, and it's definitely not Will. So one of these is not like the other. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we had a question here from Viking Payne. says, the more I look at the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, the more I'm starting to like the look. Do you guys feel the same, and do you think the fan base uh, had to judge the design way too quickly due to it replacing the V4 design? Yeah, I think that we did a pretty exhaustive discussion about this when it first debuted. And this is exactly what we said was going to happen. We said that people would have to get used to it because it is a good looking belt. It's an attractive belt. It's just vastly inferior to the, <laughs> to the version four design. And, you know, there was no reason for that, for them to do a redesign. Right. Just like there was no reason for them to unify, but you know, just like there was no reason for them to get rid of the lineage. But they did all that shit, so now you got to live with it. And, uh, you know, I think the title, you know, we I think we both said initially, like, yeah, I, it was a little jarring, but the, the, the belt is a good-looking belt. And now that we're seeing it around the waist of the champion, 
you know, it's, it's sort of easier to uh, digest a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we talked about a few weeks ago. I think the belt looks good. And obviously, it wasn't better than the V4. But yeah, I think the fan base, like you mentioned, they're going to keep getting used to it over time. And yeah, it's a good looking title. So. So, uh, also, it's unique looking, mm, and yeah. that was one of the things that people complained about initially. They're like, "Oh, it looks like Cody's tattoo. It looks like blah blah blah." Well, you know what? It doesn't look like any other belt that they have right. out there. Yeah, and I think I think that that's something that works in its favor going forward. It's gonna, you know, um, maybe this is a little bit too much of a bold prediction, but I wouldn't be surprised if a couple years from now people are like. You know, because it's associated with the brand and with the IWGP, you know, um, lineage or whatever, the acronym, people are like, that is a cool title because it's unique, you know, right. it, it stands for something different, you know, that, that those are possibilities it might really happen. Right. I think also, too, once we get a few years built up of like great tile defenses and great matches, I think that will help as well. Absolutely. Uh, so moving on to the next row to show April 18th. A uh, very similar card here. Show opened up once again with Rapungi 3K and Hanuma against Suzuki Goon of uh, Despi, Kanemaru, and Suzuki. This time. Oh, that's weird. Was that the exact same match? Yeah. Wait, that's weird. Did they give us the exact same match for the first three matches of the night? <laughs> yep. That That's weird. What <laughs> the fuck are you doing, Kato? <laughs> I remember watching this and thinking, like, wait, didn't they just do this? Am I watching Dude, the wrong show? Several several times I've had a check to make sure that I clicked the right file. <laughs> I was thinking, was I watching <laughs> the right show? Uh, but, yeah, th- this time Rapungi 3K team gets to win here. Um, really not, not one, much one of the One of the interesting things, though, is it feels like ever since Yo came back, show – is really in the background. Like now, I don't know how much of a narrative there is around it, and maybe it's just the, um, you know, it's not his time to be in the spotlight, or maybe this is them, you know, starting to do the quote unquote riff. But it does. I mean, all throughout the matches, he's kind of the guy that's really behind Yo, like all throughout, and he even takes a loss here on one of these other nights too. So I don't know if that's. Something, something to kind of pay attention to as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think there were show had comments during last week's or two shows, kind of questioning Yo getting a junior title shot. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. all he did was, you know, be like, "I want a junior title shot," <laughs> <laughs> which normally I'd complain about, but this is New Japan, and that is the way that things are done here. Right. Yeah. Show show should know by now. <laughs> yeah. And anyone who watches New Japan should know as well. <laughs> right. Um, then, like you mentioned, second match, rematch of Suzuki Gun against Bull Club, Doki Taichi and Saber against Shadow Tamatonga Tangaloa. This time, the Dangerous Tickers team gets the win here. Then, uh, third match of the night, we have the uh, Chaos team of Goto Ishii, Yano, Yoshihashi, teaming with Tanahashi. Uh, once again, they defeat. The Bull Club team of a- Evil, Gato, Kenta, Taiji Shimori, and Yujiro Takahashi. Then we get to the semi-main event where the teams are kind of switched up a little bit here. So we had this time we had Cobb and Osprey, and they defeated Bushi and Shingo. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention, that main event from April 15th, that tag match, regardless of the outcome and everything like that. That was actually one of the better Road 2 tag team main events in a while. Um, I, I would 
definitely say it blows away any of the uh, elimination tags from the weeks prior and any of the other main events on any of these shows so far. I, I actually would say it's probably running it for, I don't know what else happened in, it's definitely like the match of the road to wrestling Duntaku. <laughs> right. I think United Empire and LIJ just have great chemistry, and they're both units where they work so well together. We've talked about it for years now on how like LIJ multi-mans are usually just pretty good because just their chemistry is just so good. And then United Empire, as new as they are, those four guys have put together some great chemistry, and no matter what pairing you get, they seem to have good chemistry as well. Well, look at the talent that's involved with United Empire and then the creativity that's there as well and the hunger because right now the company is basically on those dudes' backs, you know, like it or not. That's the way it is. Right. <laughs> um, it's one of the only reasons that I'm like, you know, n- not to be melodramatic, but like when I turn on these shows, I'm like, it's the one, one of the few things I'm actually really looking forward to because, you know, like I know what the fuck is going to happen in a dangerous tea god multi-man tag like you know i know what the fuck's gonna happen in a bull club chaos multi-man tag right now like a bunch of bullshit but you know with united empire i'm at least going to get my money's worth you know yeah yeah some man and mains have been really good all these nights and once again here um poor bushi eats another uh tour of the islands uh yeah and the interesting thing united empire is winning all these matches so they're kind of winning handedly uh, for the most part except for obviously Hanare's one hiccup uh the previous thursday but other than that like they're kind of running roughshod of god or uh lij yeah and then yeah in the main event the uh empire team beat lij uh we had aaron Hanare and great okan they beat sonata and tetsuya naito and once again okan had to hit the dominator on Sonata before Hanare could get him up for the Streets of Rage and get the pinfall on Sonata again. Yep. So yeah, so once again, just kind of that narrative there with Hanare. He's he's not fully getting the pin, but kind of is. And so it'll be very interesting to see what happens with, with their singles match with uh, Hanare and Sonata. Yeah, that's going to be a, a big test and very telling as to... Uh, I mean, obviously it's just one night, but... For a guy like him, it's a little different. Like, for for instance, when Okan first came back from Excursion, they gave him some big matches, but and he was losing to big stars, and that's to be expected. But, like, with Hanare, I know you could use the, uh, you know, you could allude to the idea that he's back from his quote-unquote excursion because, you know, that's what that whole time was when he was on, you know, on the undercards and all that. But I'm not really buying that shit because he's been on the show the whole time. Right. So so to me, it's like, is this a push or not? Nah? Are you guys elevating him or not? Nah? Because that's where we're at. Like, you know, if, if he doesn't beat Sonata, I'm not saying he's done, but he he should beat Sonata. Right. If, if they really actually want to go forward with this. Otherwise, he is the pin eater. He's just a repackaged guy. Re, yeah, repackaged pin eater. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's not much higher than Doki. Yeah, and I'm wondering, you know, he, he was off, obviously, for the, for the pandemic. He was out, off the show for a while, and, you know, he was doing the Muay Thai stuff in Thailand. Like, why didn't they, when they bring him back, bring him back in the Empire instead of bringing him back in Huntai and then kind of doing this weird angle to get him into the Empire? Oh, you're saying, yeah, why didn't they keep him off and then bring him back as part of the group as opposed to 
sort of overexposing him, you know, I don't know, maybe it's because they're running with the skeleton crew or, you know, I'm not sure what's going on with the, the, you know, booking department these days, to be honest. Yeah. Too much, uh, Dick Togo. That's that's all. (laughs) That's what's going on. Uh, but then moving on to the 19th. So we actually had a a little bit of shake with the card here. So opening matchup, we had Tanahashi, Hanma, and Toriyano defeating the Bullet Club team of Dick Togo, Evil, and Gato. Uh, so again, there was more uh, hoods involved here to to build up to the you know, the KOPW stipulations. Um, then they had the United Empire in the second matchup here against Lij, uh, eight man tag here. United Empire uh, gets the win here. And then that brings us to we had three singles matches that are building up for the the Never Six Man Title feud that we've been seeing on this tour. So first we had Tomo Iroishi defeating Yujiro Takahashi, fifteen minutes and seventeen seconds. Uh, I really enjoyed this matchup here. You know, God, I hate this episode because I feel like I'm sounding like a Debbie Downer the whole episode. But uh, you know, I I got to tell the truth about the product <laughs> as I see it right now. This was a match that I saw very hyped, and I watched it. I definitely enjoyed it. I thought it was good, but people were acting like they're like, Ishii pulled off a miracle with Yujiro. He's done it again. And then they went out there, and they had a good match. I would have gone like, I don't know, three and a half on it probably. It was fine. You know, 15-minute you know match. It was nothing you know to complain about. I enjoyed it, but like the way people were acting on it, like it was like an overcorrection. They were like, praising it like they went out and had this classic and maybe that might have been a little bit of a damper for me but i was i was hoping i was like all right great not only are we getting you know special singles matches but like instead of me expecting to be in the like three-ish range you know we're getting some classics and like no it wasn't quite that i think a lot of people are sort of you know um i just saw a lot a lot of praise for this match and well i I think people are just kind of starved for something a little bit quality higher quality i mean no offense to all these multi-mans but that's what i think it is you see these same multi-mans over and over again they're kind of driving home the same story elements the same point it's like all right well finally we're getting a shake-up we're getting a singles match and it's yujiro and people still are kind of down on him and so you go out there, you know, they're doing the fired up never spots. You know, Ishii's firing up. Yujiro's firing up. Uh, Yujiro's like no selling suplexes and, and backdrops and fight getting in, in Ishii's face. And uh, you know what? I didn't, I will say this. I did not like the no selling spots that uh, Yujiro did in the match at first. Like they did the first one. I was like, oh, like shit, this is serious. And then a second one. But then he never did the delay. Usually when you do that, you do a delay sell. Like, you know, you, you take the, the moves and then maybe you get one of your own in or, or not. And then you collapse. But then he, he never did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he never went for the delay sell. And I'm like, oh, so that shit just had no effect on you because you fought through it. And then later, I think he realized later on that he forgot to sell that shit. So then he tried to do this big sell where he was like flopping. Yes, just, he, he was bumbling around. <laughs> but but the bump, but it wasn't good bumbling. It was bad bumbling. Like, I was like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> so I don't know. I, I get it. I get people. I I just like I've seen people like praising this like like this was a classic, and I was like, you know, it was it was, it was all right. It was good. Yeah. Well, I think on this tour, it it was a classic for this tour. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I can't play that. Like, I, I'm not going to come out here and tell you guys, like, you know, 
like I'll just say this: that tag match from uh, that main event tag match from a few nights prior from the Thursday show on the fifteenth like blows this away. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I still I still enjoyed this matchup. Yeah, I was around three and a half here. Uh, then uh, I, I I enjoyed the fact that we got three singles matches, and I enjoyed the fact that there's you know stakes and a narrative involved around it. So yes, yeah. Uh, Semi main event: Taiji Ishimori, the Bone Soldier, once again pins Hiroki Goto. This was his third time pinning Goto. I pinned him in two multi multi man tags previously. Straight up one on one, no cheating. Caught this man uh, with a backslide, pinned him in the middle. One, two, three. Goto's done. He's a geek. Give up his G1 <laughs> spot. Send this man packing. Get him out of here. Uh, well, I don't think we're quite there yet. I, we'll I know. I'm, I'm just. We'll ju- see more about. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just no selling your shit. Uh, like, my name's Yujiro. Uh, <laughs> but, um, no, the, the funny thing here, you know, the whole idea was. Ishimori is a junior. Juniors don't beat heavyweights, but it's Goto, so you never know. <laughs> well, the whole the whole thing was like so he Ishimori had pinned him twice. Had pinned him twice in, yeah. in, in the uh, multi mans earlier in the tour, so it's like all right, clearly in the one on one, Goto's going to get the win. Get the, win back. Exactly, and straight up, you know, you got Mister New Japan Cup against the junior. Like he's going to kill this kid. And you know what? He was killing him. Like, that's the funny thing. Like, the, the I, I don't want to make it sound like a squash. It was, and it was competitive. But the end of the match was was pretty clear. Like, Goto's there. He did the the big, you know, power up. He does the mid kick. Ishimori sells it like death. And Goto's like, all right, now I'm going to go into, like, GTW, GTR, and, you know, go home. And right when he's going for it, like, nah, backslide. Right. <laughs> <laughs> One, two, three, go home, geek. And, like, the way Ishimori sold it, like, he, like, like in and of itself, a backslide is not, I mean, a backslide's a backslide. You know, it's a classic professional wrestling pin maneuver. Right. You know, it, it is not in and of itself nefarious or devious or cowardly or, or, or anything like that. But the way that you sell it within the narrative tells you how it should be perceived. And the way it was perceived after this was like, I am a slimy motherfucker <laughs> because I backslid you, bitch. And like, you know, I couldn't quote unquote actually beat you. I had to resort to this tactic, which is like, that's the way that it seemed and felt by the way that Ishimori sold it when he ran out of the ring like a chicken shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, that that's so smart because like, you know, you could see a good guy hit someone with a backslide and sell it entirely different at the end and like, you know, be praised for, you know, being so technically sound, but this didn't come off as Taiji Ishimori being technically sound. It came off as him being a lucky son of a bitch. Right. Just being like really sneaky. Like, yeah, I kind of pulled one, a fast one on on you, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) It's like how you, how you pull one on him when you beat him 100% clean smack dab in the (laughs) middle of the ring. Like how the fuck did he get this cleared by like the new Japan office? I can't remember any time. You know what? I think the most, the the only other time I could think of recently where a junior beat uh, a heavyweight clean in singles match, I think uh, didn't Bushi beat Zack Sabre at the end of the year, like last year. I think not, not the end of this year, but the end of like 2019, something like that. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it happens, but it's really rare. And and Goto's selling of, lo- of losing was great too. He he got up all pissed and was like asking for the count, and then he's kind of like 
collapsed and like put his hands on his face. Kind of, you know, he couldn't believe it. Right, it kind of, <laughs> man was blown. <laughs> F my life face and <laughs> Ishii was second in him, and Ishii just had a disappointed look on his face. Like he's just like, really, dog? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm carrying this whole damn team. What's going? On? <laughs> um, but how I'll, about how about Tomohiro Ishii, the Stone Pitbull, teaming up with uh, Taiji Ishimori? The muscular Chihuahua, the dogs. <laughs> oh man, could could be a great little team there. Yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, emphasis on little. <laughs> I wasn't even trying to do that. They could go for the junior tag titles. <laughs> hey, we need some new junior teams, so why bro, not? They'd, they would fucking run that division for life. <laughs> like no, but bro, young bucks come in. Nah, hold this brain buster. <laughs> Uh, Bro, how great would an Ishimori and Ishii against the Young Bucks match be? Oh, it'd be incredible. Oh, it'd be so fucking good. Ugh. Yeah, I like that they kind of established, you know, Goto as the weak link here of this team. So That's that's the clear story that they're telling, which is an interesting story because right now, normally you would traditionally consider Yoshihashi as being the weak link, and he's clearly not. They're, they're telling a story where, you know, uh, Goto is the weak link, and it's believable because he, you know, has oftentimes been that guy, so. Right. Then the uh, main event of the evening, we had Kenta defeating Yoshihashi 26 minutes and 6 seconds. Um what do you think about this matchup? I thought it was fine. Again, I saw a lot of praise for it. I thought 26 minutes was a little bit uh, too long for me personally. But at the same time, um, this was much better than some of the previous matches we've seen between these two. Um, you know, I think of that like match that they had in New York. Mm, um, yeah. And this was a lot better than that. This is pretty hard hitting and violent. And, you know, uh, between the two inanimate object feuds that are going on, I would prefer the Bow Staff one over the Iron Fingers one right now. Yeah, and the, and the Bow Staff one has definitely been more hilarious with uh, Kenta's uh, backstage promos with the Bow Staff and all that going on. And also, that's, that's been a key story through this, all these multi-mans. We really touch on, you know, Yoshihashi would try to get the Bow Staff back, and Kenta would always end up having getting the Bow Staff back, even with some of the matches where Chaos won. And Yoshihashi would get the staff. Kenta would like sneak back in, steal the bow staff, and run off of it. Um, so obviously the bow staff came in and into play here um, in this matchup. Uh, there was uh, some ref bumps, but uh, coming down towards the end here, um, Yoshihashi escaped to go to sleep and eventually got hit into the exposed turnbuckle that Kenta had, um, unwrapped earlier in the match, and then killed him with these um, palm strikes to the face, psycho knee. Gets him up for the go to sleep. One, two, three. Kenta gets the win over Yoshihashi. Yep. And um, there there was quite a few uh, moments of shenanigans, ref bumps, like you mentioned, you know. And the funny thing was, like, when Kenta made his entrance, everyone was wondering, where was the bow staff? And then, you know, man had it stowed away underneath <laughs> the ring. Right, yeah. <laughs> and the other funny thing was, like, um, you know, freaking Yoshihashi came out with his boys. He came out with Ishii and was Goto there too? Yeah. I think he was. Yeah, Goto eventually came out too, yeah. And, you know, they just had to watch it happen to him. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, there, there's nothing they could do there. So, yeah, so Bull Club got the uh, the momentum here, two, two to one over Chaos, leading into the never title match the next night. 
Uh, we did have a question here from Templar two three five. Says, "Why did I not care about or enjoy the Bullet Club versus Chaos singles matches leading up to the six man title match? But I am super psyched for the Techers versus God singles matches." Because you a Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, every everybody's got their own, you know, investments and you know, uh, opinions. I don't. I don't know. I cu- I couldn't tell you. Um, I don't know if the question is with. See, I think the question should be which is better because if you know that's something I could talk about. But as far as his personal enjoyment of the two feuds, it's hard hard for me to know. I'm I'm not inside your head. I can't see the pictures that show up in your brain when you close your eyes. You know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, I I was just very excited to have singles matches on these right. two shows. So I was excited for, for these. And I, I mean, I'm excited for the, you know, Tangaloa uh, Sabre match as well as the, I'm excited to see what happens with the Tama and Taichi match as well. So but here, here's the thing. We got those single. Here's why I'm not as excited. We got those already right. and they were fine, but we got them like a couple months ago right. or last month. Whereas these ones at, at least felt somewhat fresh the other thing too is, um, well, I guess, I guess the um, heavyweight tag titles could switch hands. You know, that's a possibility. But for me, I feel like that decision is sort of like, you know, you can see it coming from a mile away. Whereas with this one, it was sort of fifty-fifty. I mean, the chaos uh, trios had the the um, never open weight tags for since last summer. So almost a year now, and this, you know, they've had a, like I think three defenses prior to this. So it definitely felt like, with the outcomes of these matches, like who knows what was going to happen the next night. So not only were these good matches on paper, but they had a lot of stakes and meaning to them. Whereas, like, I'm just not—I don't know—I'm not that invested with the God Techers feud because is the feud about the Iron Fingers or is the feud about tag team dominance and? It's a very, you know, sort of, it's like bipolar to a degree. Like, they don't know of which way they are, you know? Right. And like we mentioned before, like, the fingers should have been the first chapter of the rivalry. And then they should have Correct. They, they should have moved on from that and focused the rivalry more on Tekkers getting the titles back. Or, or better yet, they didn't really need it to be part of the feud. But, you know, since they did do it, you're right. It should have been settled before everything turned to the tag team titles in and of themselves. And, you know, they haven't fully done that, which almost makes me fearful that we might be getting a, a, you know, another one down the road between these after this, you know, you know how they like to do the big trilogies. (laughs) Right. (laughs) When in fact, this is technically, this is a trilogy. Right. Because they, they had the, the wrestle kingdom match as well. Right. Yeah. So maybe this, this will be the last match then. Well, I I feel like it won't be because I feel like they've got they're just gonna keep doing it. Well, I mean they're, they're the, like, the only two heavyweight teams that they can really count on right now. That's what I'm saying. Like I feel like they're just gonna do it again. Yeah. So fight, fight, we'll see. Fight forever. Well, let's let's uh, run through the last night here, April 20th, real quick. Yep. So uh, surprise, surprise opened up with uh, Suzuki Yun versus Rapungi 3K and Hanma. Despi Suzuki and Kanemaru get the win this time, uh, and this one. Suzuki and Hanma were really killing each other with, with the slaps here, so that, that was some good stuff there. 
Uh, then we had uh, surprise, and I think this was the night the show lost, right? Yes, um, Katamaru caught show with the uh, inside, um, inside, not quite inside cradle, but that kind of reverse sunset kind of roll up. I, I don't know what it's called, but he rolled him up eventually, pretty much. Yeah, um, reverse victory roll is that? That's what I was thinking. Um, then um, second match, uh, once again we had uh, Jado, Tama, Tonga, Tangaloa. Defeating Doki, Taichi, and Zack Sabre Jr. Then we had Tanahashi and Yano defeat Evil and Gato by disqualification. Um, there's a big angle there with them running in, doing low blows, getting the hood out, all that stuff. Um, you gonna say something? I was gonna. I couldn't remember if you guys covered it on last week's show that. I guess we'll probably talk about it down the down the line, but like it's been decided that they're going with the blindfold match. Right. So yeah, last week they talked about the voting, and I did have here uh, after we uh, preview the the twenty six show the the final tallies and votes uh, for the matchup. Uh, but yeah, here. So I think I can't, at this point, yeah, I think they knew that it was for the uh, the blindfold. They did, yeah. and that's why they stopped doing the the lights out and started focusing you know that much more on the hoods yeah um then also uh post-match evil he uh spray paints the the kopw trophy all black um putting his claim on the trophy i mean like i don't know if i think that's cool because in a certain sense like there's a part of me that like you know immediately thinks of like nwo and stuff and i'm like that's pretty dope but then there's another part of me that's like it's the kopw trophy and it's evil so can i how can i really give a fuck like i don't know man throw this shit in the bin you know yeah this was yeah this is like a notch above like fiend lore <laughs> yeah and it's not even that far off like half a notch yeah yeah match wasn't great post-match angle was just kind of bleh uh, moving on to the semi-main event, we had, uh, once again, United Empire gets LIJ, eight-man tag. United Empire uh, gets the win uh, once again. And this time, it was, uh, once again, yeah, it was uh, Cobb. Uh, oh, he Cobb gives Bushi to Ocon for the Eliminator. So, um, this time, Bushi doesn't take it to our islands, but he takes the Eliminator from Ocon, gets pinned here. And United Empire stands strong. And then we had the big main event for the never openweight six man tag team titles. Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi successfully defend the titles against Kenta, Taiji Ishimori, and Yujiro Takahashi. I'll say a lot of the story of the match was uh, focused in on, on Goto and Taiji Ishimori. Ishimori had tons of near falls on Goto, which were, was very believable because, you know, he he'd pinned him three times now. Um, so that was a big focus of the matchup. Yeah, so I mean that that whole story is pretty brilliant because you know, on a typical, you know, six-man tag match that involved these guys, if if you were trying to set it up or not set it up, but just, you know, just run of the mill, these guys are running it, there's not any backstory and the the person that you're having focus on the the near falls is Ishimori against Goto. Sure, they might be, you know, in the heat of the moment, you might bite in them a little bit. But at the end of the day, like in the back of your head, you're still thinking like, well, I know he's not going to win. So you're not that invested. But because of all the work that they did prior to this, really establishing the fact that like, yes, in fact, <laughs> <laughs> right, Ishimori can beat that ass. Like 
the whole time you're like, oh shit, are they going to do it again? Because uh, if there's anybody who's used to just getting beat and then beat and then beat, and then guess what? You think he's coming back, but no, he gets beat again. It's Goto. (laughs) So I mean, (laughs) the idea that he could have lost again to Ishimori was like totally plausible. Right. In fact, you mentioned, too, that they've held a title now for over 250 days. This was their fourth defense. Typically, the never title we've seen in the past is usually a title that's hot potato. Usually that thing's changing every title match. So it could have been very believable for a yeah, title I think they here. I think they have a lot of that to think to just the investment from the fans because of the fact that it's Yoshihashi's one and only championship. Uh, and maybe that's one reason that I'm also um, – you know, sort of a little bit more heavily invested in this feud than the G.O.D. Techers one. But, uh, yeah, this fourth title defense um, puts them in, puts them on the same level as um, the other two. There's two other teams that have had four successful defenses, and that puts them on the same level. So they're tied with all those guys now. Yeah. Uh, so coming on to the end of the match here, Yoshihashi and Goto are looking for GYW. That gets broken up. Kenta grabs the bow staff and he hits Ishii with it. Um, hits Goto with it. Um, and Ishimori tries to get a roll-up for the win there. Um, then Yoshihashi gets the bow staff back and uh, Tug of War breaks out. Yoshihashi ends up hitting Kenta in the head with the bow staff. And that's leaving uh, Ishimori and Goto to, uh, to finish up the match here and once again, Ishimori is hitting off all these near falls, trying to pin Goto, um, coming close with another backslide before he goes for the yes lock. But then Goto fights free, uh, hits him with the GTW, hits him with the GTR. One, two, three. Goto finally gets his revenge on Ishimori, and the Chaos team retains the never six man titles. And Yoshihashi gets his bow staff back. Finally. <laughs> So hopefully that story is wrapped up and we don't have a, a ladder match uh, for the the bow staff. Yes, um, <laughs> although I mean, if there was a bow staff match that you'd want to see, can you think of a bow staff match that you might want to see? What do you mean, like two two guys fighting with a bow staff, or I don't <laughs> any. any yeah, that might be badass. Like if Kenta like develops his own bow staff, and then these two dudes got to fight with bow staffs, you know? That, that would be kind of that would be entertaining. <laughs> now here here's my last. Uh, I'll give you one last stipulation. You tell me if you like it or not. We elevate those dudes and put them on platforms mm. in the air, American yeah. Gladiator style, and then they got to knock each other off to to be the victor. Now, do you want to see that match? Yeah, scaffold match. Yeah, let's do it. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, so we have uh, another Road 2 show coming up on April 26th. And when that show opens up, we'll have Rapungi 3K teaming up with Tiger Mask this time to take on Despi, Suzuki, and Kanamaru. Then once again, Doki, Taichi, and ZSJ against Jado and G.O.D. Tanahashi, Tenzan, Wato, Taguchi, and Yano against Dick Togo, Evil, Gato, Taichi, Mori, and Yujiro Takahashi. Then we'll have Bushi and Shingo versus Cobb and Osprey, And then uh, two special singles matches here. In the semi-main event, we will have Sonata versus Aaron Hanare. And then in the main event, we'll have Tetsuya Naito versus the great Okan. Young boy, who do you think's walking away with the W in these uh, two singles matches here? Yeah, this is a tough one to call, but, like, my, my initial gut instinct is to just go 
United Empire across the board here. The only thing is, like, Okan already beat Naito. And, I mean, he could hypothetically beat Naito again. I mean, if that's the story that they're trying to tell. But, like, oh, I don't know. I don't know, man. You, you tell me what you're thinking. Because both of these are tough. For I, I could give you the reasoning that I think, but I really don't know. Yeah, I'll start with the main event because I'm a little bit more confident here. I, I feel like Naito is going to get the win back on Great Okan. Uh, you know, I've, I've had you know in the past I've tried to bet on Okan in these big singles matches because I think all right they're going to elevate him and he needs this wins and he keeps losing. Um, and then the one match that he did win, it, it kind of got negated after he lost to Yano in the following round, New Japan Cup. Right, and that's that's my problem. Yeah, and so I. Just, like I think they are pushing Okan, but I just don't think they see him on the level to to beat a Naito and make it a big deal of it. So I, I think Naito is going to get the win back here, especially because I think Naito is going to be challenging the winner of Osprey Shingo at uh, the uh, Yokohama Stadium. That makes a lot of sense. So that's that's definitely a possibility. The, my here's my problem with that: if they do that, doesn't it feel like they're like giving away? what should be like a proper January 4th style or January 5th style match away. Right. You know, giving it away too soon with too little of a build. Um, I don't know, man. I, I I don't like the idea of that necessarily. I mean, not that I don't want to see Naito and will, but it's like, I feel like they would kind of be jumping the gun and shooting themselves in the foot. They can really draw and really make a lot of money with that match. First time ever. You know, on a big stage, and I know that people are going to say, "Well, Yokohama Stadium is a big stage," but it's like we're a couple, you know, three weeks away. Right, and it won't be a big stage if, the, if it's capped at five thousand. Right. Um. So yeah, well, that, that's what that's what I'm thinking. Hopefully, I, mean, I would love to be surprised. I would love for Great Okan to get the win here and for him to continue to be elevated. Uh, I, I I guess my problem is I don't know where they're going. You know, right. Either either way, because it's like when Okan beat Naito the first time, it seemed very clear that they were going somewhere with it. But then when he turned around and lost right away to Yano right after that, it sort of negated the big win, like you mentioned. So if all it was was a setup for them to do this match on a Cork and Hall show on a road to show as a return match, I, I don't know that that makes too much sense to me um and it's like if if okan beats naito again i i guess naito does have some i guess either way no matter what happens if either of them lose they have something to chase after down the road but if if they are planning to put naito in a big spot after this for sure that makes more sense i'm just wondering like okay okan wins what's next for him you know right I mean, Naito would have to like work his way back to getting some sort of return match with him after getting beat clean or beat, you know, twice in a row. So what's next after that? I, I don't know. So I, I guess I'm gonna agree with you and probably go Naito as well. And that concerns me because it's like, is Sonata going to beat Aaron Hanare then? Right. Now this one's a, a little bit more harder for me to predict. Because uh, again, it's kind of the same question: like, where do either of these guys go after they win here? Um, like you mentioned earlier, I, I feel like Aaron Hanare really needs the win here to establish him over Sonata. 
Um, but again, we've seen the pattern with Great Okan, a guy who needs to be established, made a big debut, and loses all his singles matches. Um, and, you know, Sonata is, is a former IWGP challenger, uh, former New Japan Cup winner, um, you know, does well in tournaments. And it's like, do do they see Aaron Hanare on that level? Do they want to give him the rub and have him beat Sonata? Or do they, do they want to kind of keep Sonata strong? In case you know they need to pull a Sonata, um, you know another Sonata title match out down the line, down later in the year. Um. Yeah, I, that's a tough one. I'm I'm not really sure, but I feel like th- this will tell us a lot. You know, yeah. I, I'm not saying that if Hanari loses, he's totally done, but after coming off of being a jobber. So recently in the past, if he were to take a loss, then that kind of tells me like where he is in the pecking order. And sure, there's room for him to like work his way up at that point. But I'm I'm just not feeling confident about it at that point. I think he he very much needs the win here, very much so. And I feel like this might be the time that you you go ahead and you say, you know what, Sonata. A lot of guys have laid down for you. It's time for you to repay the favor, you know. Right, and I'm like, where, where, where? Sonata wins. Like, where does he? Where does this? What does this win do for Sonata? Like, where does he go from here? Like, he he's recently had an IWGP, you know, title challenge against Abushi. I don't see him getting another one anytime soon. So it's like, does he really need to get the win here? It doesn't do anything for him if he wins, but if he loses, it does. I mean, he's he's losing to a guy that was recently jobbing. So, right, right. Um, I mean, it, it is. I think it's a high stakes match for you know the way that the fans see either one of these two guys. Right. Yeah. I, against my better judgment, I, I'm I'm gonna go with Aaron Hanare. Getting the win uh, I, here. I, I am too, actually. And, that, and that's what I really want to happen. That's what should happen. That's the right thing. That's, I think that's the right booking call here. So I'm going to go with Hanare uh, beating Sonata here. Yeah, I think that's what should happen, but I don't know if it's what will happen. Yeah. And then, um, like you mentioned earlier, the uh, the KOPW uh, stipulation for Evil Orsiano on April 28th at Wrestling uh, Tatsuma no Kuni. Has been finalized. There was uh, twenty eight thousand six hundred seventy nine uh, votes that were casted worldwide in the the Twitter poll. Um, Evil had the the international vote, but Yano's uh, domestic presence was enough to surge him to victory in the in the votes here. So the final numbers were: Evil's Darkness match had forty eight percent of the vote, while Yano's creation of Darkness Blindfold match had fifty one point five eight percent of the vote. So. I, I absolutely wanted to see the darkness match because, you know, neither of these two ideas, like neither of these matches are what I want to see in New Japan at all, like at all. Right. But if, but if I had to do one, the idea of a match where the lights just fucking go out <laughs> <laughs> and we're talking like for what minutes at a time, right? Right. Yeah. So we're we have to watch this shit where the lights are out for minutes at a time. Like, what the fuck are the the guys doing? You know, they're probably gonna be like, I don't know, just bumping in the ring, just making grunting noise. Right, going, oh, Yano just screaming. Oh, oh. Yeah, bro, that would have that would have been like 
probably really fucking funny. Yeah. And and we've been robbed of it because people are marks for Yano. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yep. So we have the creation of Darkness blindfold match. Four blindfolds will be put on each corner post. An opponent must be blindfold in order for a decision to be rendered. And so Great. That, <laughs> that's happening on Wrestling Satsuma Nukuni Bro, on if I April told 28th. You, if I told you in 2017 that this would be an actual thing that'd be happening, like how would you have reacted? Uh, I would have said you're you're lying, you're full of crap. <laughs> yeah, I've been like, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh look, that is there's no way. And then the next thing I, I and then the next thing is like, yeah, it's crazy to see evil fall so far from his IWGP title days. And then I would have been like, what the fuck did you just say? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. Can you imagine like us from the future going back to like us in 2017, starting this show and being like, guys, evil, evil's going to become double champion. I would have gone back to myself and been like, Hey, Jeremy's going to want to do this podcast with you Do not do it It's going to go really well at first But eventually one day Evil's going to win the title And shit is going to go downhill From there (laughs) Oh man Don't do it Uh, let's uh, jump into some uh, news items here real quick. Uh, one thing I wanted to touch on was uh, NJPW attendance. So I, I've seen a, yo, it has been rough. Yeah, the attendance has been rough. I've seen a lot of people kind of dunking on New Japan for having these low uh, Corkin Hall houses. You know, anywhere between three hundred to four hundred people. While um, companies like Noah and DT and other you know Tokyo Joshi Pro that are running Cork and Hall are are doing uh, better numbers than uh, New Japan. Yeah, I here's the thing is like I don't want to sound like the guy that's like oh well well what about you know I don't want to be the what about guy, but I also don't want to be the guy that ignore that's like oh New Japan's cooked look at these numbers. Like, bro, just put it in context. Like, I hate when people from either side of any sort of argument, like, don't explain the full picture of whatever it is they're presenting, you know? Right. And, like, for me, like, I, I don't want to come off as, like, the, the New Japan defense squatter and, you know, standing up for New Japan and, you know, stand, putting my, you know, my all my heart behind this promotion or whatever. But here's the thing, you know, Noah has run Cork and Hall once this month. While New <laughs> Japan has run Cork and Hall five times this month. And you just right. heard, you just heard our review of those five shows. Um most of the same exact card, flip flopping, you know, results. You had one card that had some singles matches, one card that had the, the never six man title match. I'm like, these aren't like super appealing cards to, to be going out to in the middle of a pandemic. Um, like, yeah. And the other thing too, is like, I'm still not totally sure what the state of emergency is like in Tokyo. Um, I actually got a message just before we went on the air from a good friend of the, good friend of the show, Zach Porter, where he sent me a news report talking about how, um, there's a deal in line with Pfizer uh, that might basically 
increase the amount of doses and, and uh, vaccines that people are getting uh, able to get in Japan uh, as well as with Moderna. So like, it's a good sign going forward that they, they're going to probably be ramping up the numbers quite a bit. So that's, that's, you know, that's hopeful. That's really, really good. But new Japan has been running a pretty, pretty reduced scaled down um, setup for these Corican shows. Now, I don't know if that is because they're anticipating having smaller amounts of people based on all the, uh, you know, COVID factors that we've discussed, or if it's because they know that the shows they're putting on aren't designed to draw, you know, super, super, super well, and they're like sort of scaling it for realistic expectations, or is it what many people are alleging that the company is not hot right now and they know that and so they're scaling it down or maybe it's a mixture of those things i don't know you know right yeah it, it's so hard to analyze until in the pandemic but because uh, because we're not there and you know we don't have eyes on the ground telling us exactly the analytics of it all but also most of the people that are you know dunking on new japan they don't know either you know that's the that's the reality they don't know all the nuance of the situation right but what what we do know is that these other companies are running the same venue far 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 less so i mean when something is more of a rarity commodity it's going to be more appealing Right, and when they are running, those other companies are running, they're probably doing, like, a, it's probably a big show for them, and they're doing probably title matches and hot feuds that are, have been built up to this point when they're running Corkin. Now, here's the thing I will admit, and I think that, you know, um, while Corkin numbers are not the end-all, especially in this situation at this current time, it's not the key indicator that it would be in a normal day to day, you know? So you kind of have to throw these out a little bit, but I think they are concerning to a certain degree where like just a few months ago, they weren't, they weren't doing this low of numbers in Cork and, and now, you know, they're sub 300 and they're in that, like that range. Uh, the other thing that's, very telling to me is watching these shows. These fans are dead as fuck. Yeah. Like they don't, I'm like, sort of like, why are they even there? <laughs> right. Dude, that's the one thing that I hate is like going to a wrestling show where wrestling fans just don't do anything. And you're just like, why, why did you pay a ticket? Why did you even come? If you weren't going to try and react and get into the show. Well, it was funny. Yeah. We, uh, last week you talked about us having gone to the blood show, uh, Bloodsport show during WrestleMania weekend, and I heard some reviews uh, and people talking about like, man, I wish they had mic'd up the ring and the crowd better so that we could have heard them. Guys, I'm telling you, they didn't need to mic us up. You weren't going to hear shit because those were some dead ass crowds. Those GCW collective crowds sucked, <laughs> and like I'm told that we went to two of the like better crowded shows for the whole weekend. Um, you know, so I mean, I, I I was flabbergasted. So yeah, there's nothing I hate more than going to a show where the crowd is just dead and sucks, and that's kind of what you're getting. And I'm not. This is not me blaming the fans. I'm not like these motherfucking fans <laughs> ruining New Japan. No, it's not that. But I think that that's something that's sort of not being discussed in the midst of all this attendance talk. You know, um, and I think it's something that needs to sort of be focused on because it's not just a matter of 
oh, well, they're good. They're, they're still, you know, what's 300 times five, you know, I don't know, 1200, right. And uh, got 1200 for the month. 15, no, 1500. 1500 yeah. yeah. I'm terrible at math. <laughs> uh, 1500 for the month. They're killing it. And it's like, well, you know, in the midst of that discussion, let's talk about, you know, the fans who are going to these shows because they, they don't seem stoked at all, you know? Right. And it's also strange because you, this is very much converse to what we saw with the big shows that they're running here in the, you know, that just recently happened or that are coming up where the tickets are selling very quickly, you know, in, in large numbers. So I don't know if maybe that's also part of it is sort of like I can, I can admit as a fan right now that when I look on paper, I'm not super stoked about these road to shows. Um, versus like, you know, I don't know, Dantaku sounds like it's probably going to be pretty good, you know? Right. So if, 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 as a fan, which one am I going to be more apt to run out and buy a ticket for if I was in town, you know? Right. And some of these bigger shows are in different cities. I mean, also with Cork and they're kind of hitting Tokyo hard. Um, yes. With, with these, they're kind of killing, you know, kind of killing the town here with, with this market. And so, we're seeing that the other cities once they go, it's like, oh wow, finally, like, New Japan's coming back to us. So, you know, we got to go for these, for these big shows. So, yeah, and I don't know what's going. I mean, they do have to really be careful because, I mean, you know, they they have the excuse right now where it's like, okay, we're in this set of circumstances, we're in this situation, so that's why these things are happening. But I feel like there are other external booking situations that that have happened over the past year that that might be leaving the fans dissatisfied. You know, I, I definitely know here domestically in the States for a lot of people, that's seems to be the case. So you have to be careful that like, once we return to normal, that the crowds come back to normal because they, who's to say that they will, we don't know. And that will be the real indicator at that point. Right. I think, yeah, I'm sure they're assuming, yeah, once everything's good, things will be back to normal, but yeah, if they continue to, not satisfy the, the domestic fan base and even the international fan base, like it might not be the same. Yes. And I mean, and there's, there's a lot we could talk about that. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, definitely a talking point, but yeah, you know, speaking of, uh, you know, domestic fans, um, there's some stuff happening this week online that's upset the domestic fans. It seems as if new Japan has a new policy that, Wait, uh, when you say domestic, you're talking about domestic. Excuse me. Is, I mean, um, cause I was thinking about U.S. Excuse me, international fans of U.S. Yeah, we're, fans. we're we're the international fans. Right. So we're not. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um. So New Japan seems like they are not allowing screenshots of live events or or gifts of their events. Uh, several popular accounts on Twitter that are known for posting gifts or uh, screenshots uh, or live tweeting of the event have been hit by strikes. Uh, from Bushi Road and have had, have we been hit? No, because we, we really don't share. I don't really we don't really share screenshots or gifts of. I have not gifts, but I have shared screenshots in the past, but very sparingly. Yeah, I mean, normally we're, we kind of retweet stuff or quote retweet stuff. Uh, we do that quite a bit, yeah. Yeah, so we we have it. It's just it's just so much easier. Yeah. <laughs> Our account has not been uh, flagged for anything, uh, but yeah, a lot of other um, you know content creators who do create their own gifts or take screenshots on their phone and computer as they're watching and post them online uh, have been you know flagged and had their their, their tweets blocked and removed. Um, and so yeah, seems like this is a new policy going forward. There hasn't been an official announcement from New Japan, but 
clearly with them hitting some of the bigger accounts, this seems to be something that's going to be happening going forward. Yeah. Um, fuck Bushy Road, first <laughs> off. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, they could suck it. Like, this is fucking stupid. And, like, I don't understand how you couldn't, you, you, you wouldn't understand the benefits of a three second clip of your show being shared with the audience what doesn't benefit you, especially when you have such, I don't even want to call it a footprint. You've got like, you're a grain of sand in the landscape of <laughs> foreign, you know, international wrestling. Like, you know, you don't have a foothold in this market and you know, that some of these content creators are going out of their way to share, you know, the, the the cool, fun, and exciting things that happen on your show so that people who are not watchers of your show might become exposed to it and might, you know, go out and spend money and subscribe to your subscription service. But instead, you've gone ahead and you've hand you've handicapped and, and kneecapped all those, you know, guys and girls that do this. And, um, you know, what, what, what then, you know, so, you know, the people that are like literally dedicated in their fandom, I mean, sure. Do I think that it's possible hypothetically that like, not that this is even part of the discussion, but like, could, could someone have potentially developed a, a big fan base where they could monetize their, you know, Twitter account or something like that based off of this? Sure. But is that really realistically happening? No, not really. And is it costing them money? No. In fact, it's making them money. This this is making them lose money. And then those voices who are influential in the social media, uh, you know, market space, the ones who are sharing this stuff, who are knowledgeable, who know what the fuck they're talking about, and share this stuff, and and add to the overall community that's developed around your product. This is leaving a terrible terrible taste in their mouth so guess what guys they're not going to talk about bushy road they're not going to talk about stardom and new japan pro wrestling you know what they're going to talk about they're going to talk about ddt they're going to talk about noah they're going to talk about big japan they're going to go out and they're going to find some other cool shit to share yeah dragon gate and those companies are going to get the benefits that you just fucked yourself out of getting so for doing this you're fucking idiots and this is not the first time you did this you did this with YouTube and you did this to Showbuckle and all those guys and you fucked them and now you're fucking all the guys on Twitter. So this is stupid. Yeah, I just I don't know if they don't realize this, but Buzz and There's no there's no way that they can't get it though. You know what I mean? Yeah. But Buzz Buzz is down for New Japan. You know, in several wrestling circles that we are upon we're in not many people are talking about New Japan. You know, there was a time where everybody in the group chats were talking about New Japan. Everybody on Twitter, everybody in the wrestling circle were talking about New Japan, all great matches, all great storylines. But Buzz has been down for New Japan um, during this pandemic period, and it's a lot of the booking decisions and stuff that we're making. Uh, and at this point, you would think they would be wanting as anybody talking about them and sharing their content and pointing people towards their products. So... They need to kind of, you know, get a, a grasp and realize kind of where they kind of stand in the popularity, especially in the Western fan base. You know, we've, from day one, the Western expansion has been something we've talked about, and especially 
several ways how they've dropped the ball in the Western expansion. And this is a, another um, dropping of the ball moment here for them is like you are yep. you are stopping content from creators from drawing eyes to you. So what if they have a big account? You know, people they're they're drawing people um to your product and getting people invested and you see like you mentioned influential people getting excited about the product you're going to get excited and want to check out whatever they're watching yeah and i mean to to kind of hide behind copyright law you know um for this is it's so stupid and you know i don't think it's uh i think it's t you know and i i know there's probably someone out there that's like uh probably like mad at me for saying like fuck you to bushy road because like obviously i don't care like bushy road's you know a corporate company so like who who cares but like i don't think it's actually even really them i think it's tv acai deal mm, yeah um and i think that that might be the reason why you're not really seeing this with stardom if i'm um understanding this correctly and that it's more with new japan because it's tv acai not necessarily bushy road right so so fuck you tv acai as well um so yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a big misstep, and like I don't I don't understand how companies wouldn't get this. I mean, if you you're in business, you understand visibility, you understand marketing, and all that sort of stuff, and it's like, you know, no, you can't play with that. It's ours, and it's like, dude, <laughs> you want people to buy, you know, pay money to watch this shit or no? Like, you know, right. come on. Like you're going to strike at the fans who are the most loyal and, and, you know, devoted to you. Like, fuck you. Come on. <laughs> yeah. And think of it. Like, if they're going to be hoes about it, uh, at least be proud hoes about it. Like put out a statement and say, we are, yeah. we are blocking. Like we do not want people sharing live screenshots or get like, put your policy out there. <laughs> Don't just like, you know, it's all of a sudden just you know, go to Twitter and go behind people's backs and just, you know, pull the, the content down and not say, say it with any, your chest. Right. And not say anything about it and, and block people, block content creators uh, because you don't want them following you anymore. Yeah, bro. New Japan world was blocking people. Yeah. Like the Twitter account. Like what the fuck? Yeah. It's like, what? Like just come out, put out a press statement, say, our policy for social media sharing is you're not allowed to screenshot. You're not allowed to do gifts. Here's what you can share. Here's what you can't share. And, and just come out and be upfront with it. Bro, uh, the day's coming. One of these days, keeping a strong style, sidelined. <laughs> yeah. What, yeah. Yeah. Podcast will be next. They'll, they'll be hitting us yeah. up, hitting up Super J Cast. It's like, uh, you know, wrestling Omakase, some of these big podcasts that point people to, to New Japan. It's like, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna fucking strike us when they should be paying us. Right. It's so backwards, bro. It's so backwards. All, all like these it, all ugh. all these content creators are it's people. Fucking gross. Like if you if you want more engagement, why don't you hire? Why don't you reach out to some of these these Twitter influencers and be like, hey, love what you guys are doing. You get a ton of engagement. Would you love to run our Twitter account so that way we can get the engagement? Yeah. Pay them. Uh, not that not that they have the best social media team in the world because they really don't. They need to fucking get on that. But like, you know, uh, that's not the craziest idea in the world. Look at AEW. They definitely hired people who were you know content creators and in you know the community. And you turn around and they they gave them jobs. In, uh, Impact Wrestling has done the same thing in the past as well. I mean, you know, if, if you were smart, you would take a look and see like who's who's in this shit. You know, who's doing it and. You know, 
I mean, it worked for it worked with them for Chris Charlton. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, you mentioned Showbuckle. Hire him to do recap videos. You're looking for Bro, content. Hire him to do. No I don't even know. They, you know, they like pulled all his shit from Vimeo. Yeah. Like you have to go through like back channels to find that shit. And it's so old now. Like, and there's been nothing new because it's not even worth the hassle. Right. You know, and it's then, fuck. It's ridiculous. And for guys like us, like you, you want an English speaking podcast that drops every week. Well, hello. Like, we we will be your we will do your English podcast, but whatever. Yeah. So moving on into other news, um, had some interesting comments from uh, CM Punk in responses to uh, Will Ospreay's IWGP Challenge, and this came from a digital spy from a friend of the show, Stephanie Chase. In uh, Punk's comments, he says, "I don't want to give people false hope at answering Osprey." He said, but he's for sure somebody that I've never wrestled before that interests me a lot more than I guess uh, the corporate side of professional wrestling nowadays. He says, new and different things are going to interest me more than doing the same old, same old. I always need new goals. He says, I don't know. Let's see if he has it at the end of the summer, then ask me the question again. A uh, question from Viking Pan. Do you think Punk's recent interview is an indication that a possible Will Ospreay match may be on the horizon? Uh... <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. I, I think it, it would come down to dollars and cents. And if they match up creatively with whatever it is CM Punk Phil Brooks would like to do, you know? Yeah. I mean, if I'm New Japan, I back up the Brinks trunks for CM Punk. I work with him as, as you know, try to line up with him creatively and try to bring him in. We keep talking about all these hits to the Western expansion. Bringing in CM Punk would be a huge deal. It would bring a ton of eyes to the product, and this would be a huge matchup, Punk versus Osprey. Uh, but again, I just don't know what the communication would even be like between those guys and if they're going to line up, like you mentioned, money-wise, creative-wise. But if I were New Japan, especially after seeing these comments, I would be reaching out, putting out feelers, and doing what I could to, to try and get Punk in for the Osprey match. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, when you look at kind of the wrestling landscape of, like, quote-unquote dream matches, I mean, we kind of talked about this before. Like, there's a lot of matches available in AEW that exist, but they're also mainly matches we've primarily seen in the past because most of the, the top names that are there either work in New Japan or have worked in New Japan in the past, you know? Um, there's very... And then, you know, when you start talking about, like... In, not, I wouldn't say impossible, but highly unlikely matches that exist. You know, you're talking about names like Batista, names like John Cena, names like The Rock. And I think CM Punk is Brock Lesnar. And CM Punk is firmly in that conversation. So, I mean, him coming to wrestle anybody, uh, but, you know, namely Will Ospreay, that would be a big, big deal. I mean, that's something that would sell a lot of tickets and a lot of subscriptions to your streaming service. And my, I think my one concern as a wrestling fan is like, I'm not saying I don't want to be disrespectful, but can like, can CM Punk still wrestle? <laughs> right. Yeah. Can he still go? Yeah. We have no idea. Like, can he still go? Like he wasn't necessarily the greatest athlete in the world to begin with. And, you know, it took a lot of years off to like completely change his body to do MMA. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's not easy to like if, if you don't have the, the fire and desire to take those bumps <laughs> right? And, and to do those drills. Like, I don't know, man. Yeah. Uh, other you, can, you can you can all I'm saying is you can back up that Brinks truck. But, you know, that 
in and of itself is not enough. You know, he has to want to do it. It's not something you just wake up and decide I might do it. You know, he has to really like be saying to himself, like, yeah, I absolutely want to be doing this. Right. So, yeah, and that's the thing that you know there are there have been offers made to him before, and he ha- he has money. So obviously, money is not the the key indicator. But like he mentioned in his comments, like obviously something new, a new goal, or a, a new fresh idea. Um, like you mentioned, the creative, like. That's that's gonna kind of fuel the fire for whether or not he's actually gonna want to do this. Uh, so in other news, we got uh, Finn Juice will be defending the uh, Impact World Tag Team Titles this Sunday against the Good Brothers at uh, the Impact Rebellion Pay Per View. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, Rocky Romero is gonna be on MLW Fusion taking on Gino Medina this week. And uh, speaking of MLW, announcement came out this week that um, they now have a TV deal with uh, Vice TV. And, and the reason I bring this up, um, it was reported by the PW Insider. They said, sources at Vice TV have noted that New Japan Pro Wrestling was offered a deal similar to what MLW has come to terms with, with the cable network, but turned it down. Yeah. Now, um, as soon as I heard that, I like... As soon as I saw yesterday that Court Barron at MLW were making a big announcement and Dave Meltzer was posting that it was a likely television deal and all that, I was like, uh, my stomach kind of dropped because I was like, uh, it's going to be Vice, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it was Vice. And like, we knew last year that New Japan was negotiating with them. That was sort of like hush hush, but it was confirmed. And we sort of alluded to it or talked about it on the show. And then it kind of just didn't go anywhere. And we even talked about this when they made the Roku um, channel announcement that just because they're on Roku didn't mean that they weren't necessarily going to end up on a television station ultimately. And that still remains to be seen. It could still happen. Right. And we've we've talked we've named Vice many many times as a company that New Japan was in talks with, and it made a lot of sense with sort of their involvement with pro wrestling, Dark Side of the Ring. I think they've had some of their highest ratings due to that television program and um, some of the, and also I think they had a series called the wrestlers, right? Yeah. Docu-series. So uh, they've kind of been in the game trying to get involved with wrestling and, you know, sort of seeing what's happened this past couple of years with AW and that sort of thing. So it wasn't unexpected that some wrestling company would end up here. I am surprised it's MLW to be honest. Uh, but I guess it makes sense in the long run. My initial reaction was to be mad about this, but here's my one caveat to that. We don't know what the deal is. We don't know what those terms actually are. And if those terms are bad, it now I, I can't imagine how bad it would have to be for new Japan to turn down the opportunity to be involved with, you know, kind of like a cool progressive, company you know uh channel like vice tv mm-hmm. um that's in a lot of homes like that's a huge step up from what they're doing right now it's like quote unquote roku but you know maybe those i we don't know if those um terms are that advantageous and i don't know Kurt, court bauer is a uh, pretty good businessman from what i understand so you know hopefully it's a good deal but you know, maybe it's not. Maybe that's why New Japan didn't do business, or maybe it's just one of those weird things, like we've talked about, where they're dropping the ball yet again in this expansion, and they don't fucking get it. Right, and that's one thing I think. Maybe they, maybe the device deal to them, maybe it was a low ball deal to them, 
and for MLW, it was a huge opportunity. And so maybe it being that's a, possible too a, a smaller amount of money. Maybe MLW is like, well, well, we'll take that amount and kind of grow our brand. While New Japan's like, we don't need the money that much. We'll wait for a better deal. Maybe that was the case. That's possible, and you know, uh, I think they're sort of overestimated. We we've talked about. It. I've said this so many times in the show. To to think that there is a lot of um, headway in this marketplace is foolish because there's there's really not even for MLW there's really not because I mean you've got like five or six brands all running on television simultaneously all kind of facilitating a similar space and you know um, I thought I think it would have been very like advantageous for new japan to have been on cable television these past couple years that they haven't been and going forward they need it desperately whether they think so or not if they want now that's that is if it's important for them to do business here in the states if, if they're happy with the share of the pie that they have then fine keep doing what you're doing you know you know if that's what you're happy with but you're never going to expand here and you're never going to grow without television Right. It's that simple. And when you don't come into the marketplace and you let the MLWs kind of take up that, that role of the market, I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe later – they could always – who knows? Maybe MLW run, does its series, it, done, it does its run, and then later on when, when that – you know, who knows for how long the deal is. It could be a year. It could be two years. It could be five years. We don't know. But I, I remember when ECW had their run on, you know, TNN, and then Raw came in after TNN saw the, uh, you know, the value of a wrestling product, and you know, gave all that money to Vince and brought him on, you know, afterwards. That could happen, MLW. Who knows? Maybe a company like New Japan or someone else comes in afterwards, and I don't know how beneficial this will even be to Vice long term. Hopefully, it, it's very beneficial, but. Uh, We'll see. I think New Japan needs to get on television somewhere that's visible, pronto. Right. Like, and we've been—I've been saying this for a long time now. Something else that we could see is, you know, if, if MLW does well, maybe Vice wants to create a, a wrestling block of content, and so I thought about that. If as MLW well, does well, and then maybe they—they're like, all right, this is what they're doing, and then give New Japan a better deal to bring New Japan kind of create a wrestling content. A block with that and dark side of the ring mlw and kind of have this kind of wrestling block uh it's possible i mean it's a unique idea i think we've seen a few different people try it in different um incarnations over the years but typically it just doesn't s- s- tend to last or you know um work because ultimately usually the the network needs to kind of put their investment, their marketing behind one of those brands, you know? Right. And that's usually where it falls apart. Right. So, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward and if uh, New Japan ever ends up getting a uh, the U.S. deal in the future here. So in other news, uh, with speaking of TV and pay-per-view, uh, TrailerNet, which is the parent company of the Trailer Boxing Promotion, uh, officially purchased Fight which is the leading independent streaming service platform for boxing and MMA, kickboxing and pro wrestling groups. Uh, Fight has worked with pay-per-views for just pretty much every pro wrestling company except WWE. So there's they've had AW, New Japan, NOAA, Impact, ROH, NWA on, on Fight TV. 
Also streams a lot of major boxing events. Um, and this comes from the Observer. It believes that um, Fight gets forty uh, percent of the pay per view revenue, uh, or the company gets forty percent, and Fight gets sixty percent of the pay per view revenue. So it'll be interesting to see if we see any more uh, New Japan um, pay per views show up on Fight in the future. And it's kind of what how this is, is going to elevate Fight TV. It's also interesting to see how it will sort of just alter the landscape of you know, pay-per-view and platform streaming, that sort of thing. Um, We'll see how it goes, but uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, Free match of the week this week is the IWGP heavyweight title match between Switchblade, Jay White, and Hoshi Tanahashi from the new beginning in Osaka 2019. So obviously trying to get fans ready for the upcoming never openweight title match. Um, and last thing here in the news, we did have uh, some WWE releases last week. Samoa Joe, Mickey James, Peyton Royce, Billy Kay, Bo Dallas, Chelsea Green, Wesley Blake, Tucker, Kalisto, and Mojo Raleigh. Uh, and and probably a bunch of NXT people that are unnamed and unknown at this time. Yeah, so this uh, one, know, are, are any of these names, I probably know the one you're going to say, any of these names that you think could... Thrive in New Japan, or you want to see in New Japan? Tucky. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's probably like two names that I could see working in New Japan realistically. Um, one of those being Kalisto, Samurai Del Sol. That would be interesting. Uh, you know, it could be a pretty good uh, addition for the junior division. Um, but, you know, the name that's on everybody's minds is Samoa Joe. Right. And we did have a question here from Viking Payne. His thoughts on Samoa Joe in New Japan at 42 and coming off numerous injuries. I'm kind of skeptic on him working the New Japan style. Um, in one of the messenger groups that we're in, uh, New Japan group, you brought this point up. You know, people were kind of talking about, you know, Joe and, you know, what kind of matches he would have, what kind of schedule he would do. And you were like, you know, think the, the Chris Jericho schedule. Um, you know, kind of working these big matches, you know, these couple of big matches throughout the calendar year. Um, and I think that is a schedule that Samoa Joe could do. You bring him in for these kind of these big marquee Wrestle Kingdom matches, Dominion matches. Um, I mean, clearly we, we don't know exactly where he is physically. You know, he's been doing commentary, he hasn't wrestled in quite some time. Uh, maybe he can do some kind of a, a reduced schedule. But I do think Samoa Joe is a name that would be interesting to bring into New Japan. There are a ton of dream matches to do uh, with him. And he's a name, once again, that could bring eyes, um, Western eyes, to the product. Um, But I think starting him off on on a big match schedule would be the way to go. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, the thing with Joe, he's kind of unique out of this group because he has ties to new Japan, even though he's never wrestled in Japan for new Japan pro wrestling. He has wrestled, uh, in Japan for like Noah. And I think he started off with like wrestle one in like the early two thousands. So, um, you know, he's got a history in the land of the rising sun, but, um, he's never worked for, you know, new Japan. However, he did come up in the New Japan Dojo system, uh, you know, along with Rocky Romero, who is still heavily involved with New Japan of USA. So there's kind of a connection there. And, you know, he trained with guys like, you know, Nakamura, Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, um, 
uh, TJP, those types of people. So he was there during those early days with Inoki. He did, however, wrestle three matches in 2004 for the New Japan Dojo. Um, he had a world uh, Ring of Honor world title defense against Shinya Makabe. That's uh, Togi Makabe when he was a junior, back, all the way back in 2004. Samojo defeated him. Um, obviously, we don't have Makabe as a former ROH world champion. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he also defeated Bobby Slim, who I don't even know who that is, literally. Um, and then had a match with him teaming up with Chad Malenko against Kazushi Takamura and Asamu Nishimura, which is sounds pretty interesting. Uh, that, that match happened in a restaurant and nightclub hmm. in California. So, yeah, I don't think there's tape of it. But um, – my whole thinking when it comes to Joe, you know, there are reports. I don't think they're substantiated, but a lot of people believe them to be true that he was released because he wasn't cleared to wrestle based off the injuries he sustained at, believe it or not, a raw commercial taping. Right. Do you, yeah. And do you know which commercial that was? I forget now. Bro, it was. Do you remember the ones where like everyone was in motion and then they'd stop and talk and be like, "I'm going through a table." Oh, that must mean it's Monday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, like they had one where Joe was going through a table, and I think he like got fucked up on the table spot, like for the way they shot it, and like suffered a serious, you know, head trauma slash concussion issue. Um, which it, and I think he was already dealing with concussion issues prior to that. So, um. That would really suck if like your career got ended from a commercial shoot. That was also a shitty commercial. Yeah. But um you know, the whole thing my whole thinking is like he's unique in the sense that he's got a history of Japan. He's got a big enough name from like his time on the indies with TNA, with Ring of Honor, with Noah to where like he's got a lot of credibility in Japan plus obviously the platform that WWE and NXT gave him where he could come in as a major, major superstar, and he's never touched the majority of this roster in any way. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are trying to book him in, like, Shingo, trying to book him in uh, Ishii. You know, they're thinking, you know, the never open weight strong division, but, like, he's kind of past that. Like, he's a guy that, um, if he were coming in, he'd be wrestling Okada or Naito or Tanahashi, uh, you know, or Will Ospreay like major, major caliber matches and, you know, they would have to pay him the kind of money they paid like a Chris Jericho to have him come in and do it. If he's even capable of still doing it, which he may or may not be, I don't know. But, um, you know, I don't think that this is the most likely thing that could happen, but I also don't think it's impossible. Um, you know, I think that he's kind of unique where there's a lot of people that were like, really good talents in the past that have come out of WWE or other places that have had name recognition in the States and, you know, kind of bit kind of mattered, you know, but most of them, if you brought them to Japan, you would need to reestablish them and build them. And it's not necessarily a good fit, but like Joe fits like a glove. He's a guy that like comes in day one. They all know who he is. He's got the look. He, he's got the, the aura, the prestige, the history behind him. They could actually draw serious money with with Samoa Joe day one, and it would make a lot of sense business wise for them to actually go ahead and do this. 
So I don't know if it's going to happen. Probably not. Uh, I mean, if he is going to wrestle, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up working in Jacksonville. Right, um, yeah. You know, I know a lot of, like, Impact and ROH fans want him to come home to their homes, <laughs> quote-unquote. <laughs> I don't, I don't necessarily see that happening, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I would love, I would just love bro for like <laughs> him to come out and like fuck up Okada's world, you know? Yeah. Like Okada like beats Will the dome in May and then Joe just comes out muscle buster, chokes him out. Like this is my title. I don't care what the scenario is. Like he just comes out and he just fucks him up and you're like, Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But yeah, yeah I, I, you're not going to be seeing Samoa Joe in any G1s or anything like that anytime soon. You know, if if you did see him come back and work Japan, it would be like like we were talking about. And, you know, I think it would also depend, like, we would need to be back in business, I think. We would need to be at a place where, you know, the arenas are opened up, the fans are allowed to attend, you know, the, the vaccines are have kind of been doled out and things are much, much better um, business-wise. But uh, if if they're willing to pay him, I would more than be happy to to watch him. Definitely, <laughs> like he's one of my all time favorite guys. Yeah, I I love Samoa Joe, man. Just the mid two thousands, man. That that was my guy, and really got me, you know, and you know, hooked in finding you know TNA and Ring of Honor and just all stuff he was doing there. So I would love to see him show up here with a few big matches here. Yeah, but uh. Couple questions here to wrap up before we get to recommended match of the week. Uh, so, question from uh, Sumo Cerebro it says, "What are your expectations? Expectations? Ex- excuse me. Expectations for Moxley and Nagata's upcoming U.S. title match? And what do you think about New Japan finally booking native wrestlers a challenge for the U.S. title since this has been the Gaijin belt since its inception?" I mean, I'm fine with uh, a native guy challenging for the title. I mean, I. I don't. I don't even know what the title even is anymore. Right now, right now it's the uh, the John Moxley World Title. You know, right? <laughs> like that's kind of the space it occupies in my mind. Um, I just I expect them to go out there and for Moxley and Nagata to have probably something that's close and akin to Nagata's matches of of yesteryear. You know, I think that's sort of what Mox is probably aiming for. And he probably wants to go out there and have like a strong style fight with him, you know, much akin to the the old IWGP house style. And I'm expecting Moxley to win pretty easily. Yeah, it sh- should be a really good match. And we ha- we have had native challengers before. Uh, Ishii was a- was in the finals of the, the tournament with Kenny. Kenny defended against Yoshihashi. Um, so there's been a couple of names that have, that have challenged for the title. Uh, Those are your two. I think yeah, that's it, literally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's good to have. Well, and uh, Suzuki challenged Moxley. Uh, oh, that's right. So, yeah, I'm mean, obviously I'm fine with the native challenging. I think you know if if the, there was no pandemic, we obviously would be seeing Moxley challenge. You know, defending against more natives probably. Um, so yeah, looking forward to the match. I think it's 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 going to be uh, a really good match. I think it could match the, the Kenta match, uh, the level of that. So looking forward to it. Yeah, I agree. Then uh, last set of questions here from Dom Homie One Hundred One. First, he says, with it being four twenty today, who are you guys' top five high flyers of all time? <laughs> um. Man, it's a tough question. Well, Jeremy, you, you're kind of more into the high flying stuff. So I mean, who would you go with? 
man of all time that that's a hard one um you know i'm trying to i'm thinking about a lot of my favorites obviously i think you know ray mysterio jr has to be on there um this, this, this might be recency bias, but uh, I think, you know, a, a guy like Ray Phoenix has to be on there. Uh, yeah. Uh, Ricochet, Will Ospreay. Um, I mean, uh, you, if you go old school, I mean, guys like Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid in, in that time period, what they were doing uh, as far as the junior and high-flying style uh, was incredible. But who's your top five? <laughs> I don't. I don't know, man. It's so hard to to narrow it down just to five because to me, you also got to try to think of like you know eras and decade, like what 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 was kind of going on in, in different time periods. Yeah, it's a tough question. Um, and there's there's a lot of like answers that you could give, and you're probably gonna snub a lot of people by not naming them. But like, I don't know. For me, I'm going to go Ray. I'm just going to go like with who I think is the best. So Ray Mysterio, Ricochet, Will Ospreay, Kota Ibushi. So mm. I'm already at four right, right there. Yeah. The hoodie, and, it, then, and then I'm going to go with RVD as my fifth guy. Mm. Yeah, RVD was a great high flyer too, yeah. And I mean, you, there, there's a lot of other names you could easily go into, and like Ninja Mac. <laughs> <laughs> Ninja Mac's pretty raw. Um, there's a lot of names out there you could go with, you know. Yeah. Um, and and granted, like in the annals of Lucha Libre, in the annals of Lucha Rezu, I'm sure, like you know, like you know, Dragon Kid and guys like that, like some of those. Um, fucking Torimon and T2P and people, yeah. Dragon Gate guys. Like, I don't know all them, you know? I mean, I could, we, you could easily bust out like a Hayabusa, I guess, or a Sabu if you really want to. Jimmy Snuka, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's, we mentioned like <laughs> guys like Liger. Dragon Lee, uh, Bandito. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Dragon Lee is amazing. So yeah. is Bandito. Yeah. It's, it's so, that's why it's so hard <laughs> to get for me to save just five. But those are, but those, I mean, I have to, those top three, like, for have Ibushi, um, Ricochet, and Will Ospreay have just dominated that space for the past decade or so. That, like, I mean, it, <laughs> you know, it's hard to kind of argue against them. Yeah. And then you even think about, we even mentioned like any of the X Division guys. You think of like AJ and, uh, yeah, guys like Amazing, Amazing Red. Um, so, yeah. I, I'm sure a lot of people out there would have named Eddie. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know some uh, Jeff Hardy. <laughs> yeah, uh, he also asks: Is it possible that we could see a Lij and Evil reunion down the road? Is there money in a reunion? An Lij reunion? Yeah. Oh, with Evil, I don't know. Uh, I guess there is probably for somebody, but not for me. <laughs> yeah, not for me either. I, I like Lij the way it is now, so. I'm sure there are some Lij diehards that would love for Eel to come back in the fold, but it, it ain't me. <laughs> so it ain't me, babe. We'll have to ask it ain't me. Some you're up. looking for, babe. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to ask some of our domestic listeners to see what they think on that. 
Well, it looks like uh, Dom Homie One Ones asked me a bunch of fight questions, so I'll dive into those. <laughs> yeah, go for it. So, oh, young boy, you should know what is coming next. Thoughts on last Saturday's Triller Fight Club event? Thoughts on the backlash that the event is receiving? I like the event for what it was. The best part of the show was seeing Mount Westmore perform and seeing the return of Steve Urkel. I also like the fact that I won $800 due to Jake Paul knocking out Ben Askren in the first round, but I could uh, I could have won more money if it wasn't for that piece of shit, Ivan Red <laughs> Redgack, for faking that injury, but my dog Regis won. As for the backlash uh, that needs to put towards the promoters and fighters are not uh, giving fans bullshit fights instead of giving us the best fights that could possibly uh, be made. For example, we should have gotten Wilder Joshua when both fighters were undefeated, but we didn't get it, and we may never get that fight. So uh, to kind of answer his question, did you see any of this stuff, Jeremy? No. I mean, I saw like people tweeting about it, and I heard like all the buzz about it, but I did not watch any of the, the thrillers. Thriller. Yeah, I uh, was out that night, so I didn't watch it, but I was like kind of following along. I saw... Like, you know, I saw Steve Cunningham was fighting Frank Mir. I mean, if if I was a gambling man, uh, I, I could have told you right then and there, like, put bet the house, bet the mortgage on Steve Cunningham. Like, <laughs> like Frank Mir has absolutely, positively no shot in hell. Um, so I wish I would have put some money on that. You know, I actually tried to gamble for the first time in my life this past weekend. I was trying to go on to my, you know, bro, let me tell you guys something, okay? Um, now, if later on they become a sponsor of the show, you might hear something different. But before that, <laughs> <laughs> before that happens, you hear a lot of like podcasts, and I'm I'm not talking about any particular one. I'm talking about like literally across the board, mybookie.com. I mean, I listen to like podcasts from five or six different genres, and like they all use they all are like shilling for my bookie, right? Yeah, you know that shit is sketchy as fuck <laughs> <laughs> i try to use them and like none of it was working the way they like said it would work but like i finally got it like set up and i was going to do my first deposit my bank like kept flagging it and like wouldn't let me put the money through so i was like let me let me do some research on this yo just bef- all i'll say is if you're gonna get in- involved with my bookie like i don't know man do some research go on reddit like that shit i heard some horror stories i was like oh god i'm not <laughs> and I've got a friend who's like a professional gambler and I was like I was like well what I wanted to do was this I wanted to sign up and double my money right mm-hmm. so, so I was going to sign up double my money and then I saw that the the odds for Askren were like positive 200 which is like fucking crazy so I was like I'll just p- put a little bit of money in get it doubled put it on Askren if he wins I'm going to make a lot of money and if he loses, I'm going to lose a very small amount of money. I was like, I could do this. But then like, I talked to a friend, and they're like, actually, that wouldn't have worked. And I was like, why? They're like, because they put these boosts on, and then you have to read the fine print. And like in the fine print, in order to get the money from the boost, you have to have put in, like, I think it's like $1,400 or something like that before you actually can like profit from it and pull it out. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, bro. I don't want to put my money in there where I can't like pull it out and shit. So like, and I'm glad I didn't do it because Askren got fucking knocked out in the first round. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not a gambling man, but uh, I was out that night. I literally came home in time to see Justin Bieber perform, and I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, I heard there was like I, slap fights that Ric Flair was like commentating, and 
the the whole show I, I like went back and watched highlights it it looked like a train wreck like a mess but the last thriller fight was sort of like that too i mean i get it they're experimenting because it's it's more than just fight promoting it's entertainment and they're sort of experimenting with bringing in other personalities bringing in sports and music and you know pop entertainment um personalities and sort of amalgamating it all on this one kind of like new exciting sort of like fight presentation which is cool but you know for people that want to see real fights like this kind of a farce and then um that fight dude like ben Askren, i had a lot of reasons for thinking he might do well against jake paul but like he didn't train bro like i like (laughs) i i didn't know this but like after the fact i was listening to podcasts and they were like yeah he was at wildcat or a wild card gym with freddie roach for a week training for that fight he trained for a week i'm like oh my god and funny thing is when that fight started he didn't do so well but in the very first few seconds he hit jake paul with a big overhand right that like no one like is talking about and i was like oh jake paul's (laughs) <laughs> Jake Paul's gonna get knocked out so hard if he fights a real competent four rounder, like four round fighter, like a guy who's actually like good. Like they're gonna fuck him up bad. But um, yeah, I think that shit was. I don't want to say it was a work per se, but like I think it was a business transaction. You know? Yeah. Like I, I heard Askin was like smiling after the fight. Ben, ben was ear to ear like cheesing bro like this was a pro wrestling match (laughs) and bro like hey hats off to them like what they did wasn't easy like jake paul and ben Askren are making they made some serious money they 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 drew they made a huge business i think they said that the pay-per-view did like 1.3 or 1.2 mil which is like insane so (laughs) you know hats off to those guys but um yeah, and the Google, Google search numbers, I think, were like seven times that of WrestleMania. So. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. <laughs> uh, as far as the backlash, like, hey, if you paid for this shit and you, you, you didn't know what you're getting yourself into, then that's your fault for paying the $50. Like, you know, you should have took a look at what was on, on the docket for the evening before putting down your you know, cold, hard cash, you know? Right, you know, and we, also, I mean, we got a like, thing on social, how, social suplex, you know, we asked, we always ask a the question, they got a card? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. So I, I, I don't get the, you know, the, um, the backlash. As far as what he mentioned there, you know, the best fighting the best, I mean, that's a whole conundrum. I, I'm not going to get into that because that has to do with promotional deals and money and greed and TV rights and, you know, it sucks. Um, his last question, he said, thoughts on the appearance of Oscar De La Hoya, thoughts on his announcing skills. In my opinion, it was funny and embarrassing at the same time. Oscar was high as fuck at the announce booth, but let's just hope that no kitchen utensil was harmed, um, after the golden boy appearance, but in all seriousness, Oscar needs some help with his issues. And yeah, I'm going to agree with you. Um, I, again, I wasn't watching it live, but I went back and sort of listened and caught some of the highlights and like, uh, golden boy's out of his mind at this point like <laughs> you know and he's talking about having a comeback fight here next year uh, i'm gonna wager and say it doesn't happen at this point but you know they're talking about him maybe fighting former lightweight world champion from mma eddie alvarez and like i don't know if he should do that at this point like man's cooked you know hey man all's on top not this one <laughs> 
Olds might be on top, but not when you're doing, you know, coke and shit. Like that <laughs> that shit's not good for you. <laughs> oh, well, that wraps up all the questions. Last thing here, recommended match of the week. Uh young boy, did you get a chance to watch my recommendation from last week, Russell Dantaku twenty twelve, low key versus Prince Devitt for the IWGP junior championship? You know, I before I started the show, like I was I listened to last week's show and then I saw the the recommended match of the week, but I like wasn't thinking I I like I, I was like I guess that recommendation was for me, even though I wasn't there. I just didn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> so so I didn't watch it, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, do do you have a recommendation for this week? I do, but how about you tell us about Loki and Prince Devitt? Because I'm sure you watched it. Funny thing is, I did not watch it either. <laughs> then why did you recommend it if you didn't watch it? Because I wanted to watch it, but I, did, I ran out of time to watch it. And so I was hoping you would have watched it and would have given a review of it. No, but what the fuck, bro? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. How about this? I, I've got a recommendation. Let's push it back a week. Let's watch this shit. We'll talk about it next week. Okay, let's do that. All so right, We got to give the people what they, you know... Don't pay for, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta give the people their money's worth. Yes, for this free podcast show that they don't pay for. Right, we don't we don't want, yeah. want any backlash. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yo, donate to our red circle, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, help us out. So this time fucking, we'll fucking Bushy Road and TV outside. You're gonna have us pulled. You know. Help right. us out here. Yeah, you never you never know when the last episode of Keep Your Strong Side will be. So we get a lot of things, but we don't get a lot of pay. You know? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of support from the community. You guys are great. Keep on keeping on. Keep doing what you do, and I love it. But you know what I really like? Some money. <laughs> well, man, mightistic. Uh, oh man So yeah so next week we will we'll, We will watch Loki and Prince Devitt this week And we'll review it next week And next week we'll have a, a new recommended match For you guys And that's going to wrap things up for This week of Keeping a Strong Style Next week we'll be back to review uh, The last of the Road to Wrestling Dantaki show well, I think there's more But we're, we're reviewing the, the 26th Road to Wrestling Dantaki show And previewing Wrestling Satsuma Nukuni if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting com slash donate. Click on the donate button under the Keeping a Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. The show is at KI Strong Style on Twitter. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. In the Wrestling Squared Circle, we are Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we are at Social Suplex. On Reddit, on the Pro Black Guy, just Keeping a Strong Style. You can email me, Jeremy, at SocialSuplex.com. Make sure you check out all the other shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One is your radio hosted by Rich Flatta and James Boy, the Rookie and Clive Wrestling Show from Scotland, Grave Consequences with Caleb and Maserati, the 8-Bit Suplex Podcast with Josh Number 2 and Sandy, All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin, and the Great Match Generator with Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Itchy bond. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.